What's up, gamers? I'm Tori Dominguez. And I'm Noah Hertz. And welcome to Press Start. It's Gen Z's number one video gaming podcast. Yeah, so speaking of speaking of number one, we have the one, the only Renata Price. She is absolute gaming legend, producer and writer at Waypoint, and a co-host on their podcast, uh, Waypoint Radio. Hi, Renata. It's Hello, so nice I don't to I wanna you. know. I want it nice to meet you as well. I want to know that I'm not the number one at anything. <laughs> let's, 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 let's get that shit on the record real quick. Like, number that one is... Gen Z gamer? <laughs> Something I don't like think, that. True. I don't think that's true. I don't know if I, don't know if I, can, I, don't know if I can hold that. Because, like, know. Natalie's right on the edge. Yeah, Natalie, that's true. The, Natalie, the joyous gamer, Natalie, is, the joyous is, gamer. Is, is, is right there. Uh, right, on the, right on the cusp. Yeah, so we have... The, the amazing Renata Price with us. And we're just going to walk her through some of the, the pretty standard questions we love to ask uh, guests on this show. Yeah. So you'll be hearing about some games, some about, about Ohio. Games, about Ohio. <laughs> uh, so we're just going to get right into it. So, how did you start getting into gaming? Like, when did your relationship with gaming start? So, it actually started. I, I, have, a, I have a. The specific story I have is when I was like. I mean, I'm, family bought me like a GameCube when I was like very young. Same. Uh, Let's go. But that's not that. That's not the story though. The story though, is one day uh, I show up at my grandmother's house and I'm like a a, a little child, uh, and her best friend is there, Skeet. Not P. Davidson. No. <laughs> what? <laughs> Skeet and Judith are two lesbian women uh, who are very close with my family. They're my, my grandmother's best friend. Uh, Skeet and so Skeet and Judith are there and they're like hey listen we just spent the whole summer working as like not park rangers but as like working at a at a state at a national park uh, as like support staff and someone a kid left a Game Boy and a bunch of games here and then never came to pick it up and claim it and it's been all summer like we've waited many many months and they were like so we brought that for you and I was like thank you Thank you for this for this gift. Uh, included in there was a Pokemon game, no. and so of course it had to be for me, for little old me, that my introduction into video games was was blessed upon me by two uh, state park lesbians. Um, wow. Who just leaves the Game Boy there? I have so many truly. questions about that. I that think it. I think so it must sad. have come from the Earth itself, actually. It was blessed to you as if it were Excalibur from the lake. Exactly. Like. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Dyke Excalibur. There Truly you go. Faded. <laughs> Materialized That's awesome, though. from the land itself. Was so, it like, was it a Game Boy Color or was it an Advance? It's a Game Boy Advanced SP. Fucking hell. I, awesome. I had one of those. It was the gray clamshell, mm. uh, like the silver clamshell. And then later, after that one got a little bit hurt, I got a black clamshell Ooh. one. Uh, and then eventually I got a Nintendo DS yeah. when I was like when I was like seven or eight. My grandma got me Pokemon. Yeah. And then I thought about my gender a lot. Um, <laughs> so yeah, that's how I started playing games. And then from there, I mean, I immediately vibed with video games. Um, wow, who could have guessed? Young autistic child <laughs> vibes with video games. Crazy. Never, Crazy, never right? Never heard of that. <laughs> yeah. And so played a lot of games and then actually started getting like games as like a cultural artifact mm-hmm. uh, around like probably like nine or ten when I went over to my best friend Grant house we were watching Halo videos on YouTube on his down on his basement computer I remember this very vividly wow. that's definitely because... a core memory yeah 
Yes, there's a full-length mirror. It's like a wall-length mirror in this basement. This wall-length mirror, we're standing in front of it, fucking watching Red versus Blue for the first time. And then at that point, like nine or ten, I start like what listening, like watching the uh, uh, Red versus Blue uh, the Rooster Teeth podcast, oh, okay. Rooster Teeth podcast, and then Game Informers podcast, and then I get into their replay series. And this is how I get like introduced to like games writing and like games culture outside yeah. of just like I enjoy playing video games. Huh. Huh. That's, that's really interesting. That's so I cool, think you're yeah. the only person I've met whose intro was handhelds for like a good bit. I feel like everyone else who talks to you is like, oh, when like it's I feel like the most common one has been the PS2 or the PS1. Yeah. But I think you're the first person who's been like a handheld. I think that's really interesting. I got my PS2 late because mm-hmm. what my, so I have uh, the other the aspect of like my intro to video games is important is that I had a grandmother who loved movies, absolutely oh, adored them. Okay. She's also, she was also a poet. Uh, and so this is also how I get into writing. Your uh, grandparents sound this grandmother. Yeah. yeah. She's sick. She was sick as fuck. It's an absolutely incredible lady. Uh, and so absolutely loved movies, loved poetry. And so what we would do was every time I went to her house after school, which was every day, because my mom was a middle school teacher and so couldn't pick me up. Gotcha. Uh, and so I would just go to my grandmother's house. So I'd go there and then she would be like, well, I have to rent my movie for tonight at the family video. And if you run a video game, even if it's just for a day, you get a movie free oh, at the family video because they okay. want you to bundle that shit. So every day, my grandmother would take me to family video and we would, uh, I would rent a game and she would rent a movie. Uh, and so I basically played through the entire family video catalog uh, <laughs> while, I was, while I was growing up. It was just like going there every day my grandma being like, I can't afford to buy actual movies and you can't afford to buy actual video yeah, games. But yeah. like, I can, I can drop three bucks a day on this. I can, I can totally justify three bucks a day to uh, do this for both of us. And so she bought me a PS2 without a memory card. And so for years and years and years, I played on a PS2 without a memory card and then an Xbox 360 with a used hard drive. Wow. Uh, which is how I had my first experience to Dark Souls, which was someone else's save file on a used Xbox oh 360. My God. And Whoa. I loaded directly into Sen's Fortress, <laughs> uh, the area of the video game that is filled with weird lizard guys and traps. Yeah, and booby traps everywhere. Like, <laughs> I was like, what the fuck is happening? And then I played the, and then I was like, oh, this is someone else's save. Whoops, then I replayed the intro. That's and then so funny. During the intro, I was like, wait, are you a zombie? And my grandma's like, uh, was spiritual and like religious in particular ways that like threw her, made that, made that a bit weird for her. But she's like, don't worry about it. It's fine. Like, I won't be weird about it. And I was like, thank you, grandma. But that is how I get into Dark Souls was through this particular habit of renting video games. Wow. I, I love that. I'm obsessed with like, you kind of, did you feel the need to like speed run these games? If you only had them for a night, were you like going as hard as possible? No, it was more like, I mean, this is how I kind of argue that I developed my critical lens, like as a writer, mm-hmm. was by picking up games and knowing that I had a set amount of time with them and like basically going into everything with an open mind mm-hmm. and being like, cool, I got this game. It, it, it's an interesting thing because like people talk about how uh, when you don't grow up with a ton of money and you buy a game, you have to commit yourself to liking it yeah. because it's like, ah, damn, I'm not going to get this for yeah. a minute. I got I to gotta lean in, right? And so I had that like working class kid mentality there of like, ah, damn, got to find a way to like this, but also um, an extreme amount of variety. 
where I'm basically constantly being exposed to new things. So it was less like I was trying to speed run them and more that I was like trying to find what I liked about everything. Okay. Mm. Just like emotionally. And then eventually that develops into um, through like a ton of exposure. I start to be able to identify very clearly what I like and don't like in things. Mm -hmm. And then I start being able to grok systems very, very quickly. Um, this is why uh, a little writing fact about me is that often I will pitch and start writing uh, my pieces, including if it's like an impressions or even review, within like three hours of starting something. Oh, because wow. Oh, wow. Um, my brain latches onto mechanics really quickly mm -hmm. and understands how systems interact with each other very, very fast. Because I had all this time as a kid where I was constantly being exposed to new games yeah. and like new mechanics. And I had to learn how to learn them as quickly as possible. Uh, and so it was less like speed running and more like um, like a tasting event. Wow. Um, that is fascinating. I, um, I have one I'm curious about. It, sorry, Tori. Um, no, you go. I wanted, I, Are there any games from that period where you were renting them left and right? games that really stick out either good or bad just as ones that like you remember i mean not to plug uh, a waypoint uh product but uh ren's rentals is the streaming series where patrick and i go through and, and play those exact games that yeah. you're describing which like stick out clearly in my mind i mm -hmm. mean alone in the dark 2008 stood out really clearly um two human stood out extremely clearly um let me think the full metal alchemist Video game. I oh, believe it yeah. was the second I one. I feel like okay. Noah has mentioned clearly. this. Noah, I think I mentioned, have mentioned this. Yeah, the PS2. Noah ones, is also yeah. a purveyor of like very like I, like mid or like obscure <laughs> PS2 games. Like he just picked up a new one last weekend. So. No, Z okay, Xenosaga is not mid as that far is, as I know. I, would, I, I will say that Xenosaga. I'm, I'm familiar with this. I have not played uh, it yet, but I do own it now, and I'm pretty sure it's not mid. I've been convincing him to get Shadow the Hedgehog 2 with me, but... No, not 2. There's not 2. Shadow, There's only Shadow one the Hedgehog. No, but Shadow the so Hedgehog Shadow 1 is like $60 fucking dollars nowadays. Hedgehog fucking bangs. Oh, it, it I bangs. Played, it's great. I played so much Shadow the Hedgehog on my GameCube. That was such yeah. a good game. I had it for GameCube as well. Absolutely. Yes! The multiplayer oh. mode in that game went stupid. It was went stupid how good it was. It's extremely, extremely good. They didn't extremely need to good. give you an arena to do like deathmatch mm -hmm. against your friends in a fucking no. Sonic game, and they did that for us. Yeah, it was, it, they did that for us. That game went particularly hard. I asked because I think the one rental video game that sticks out in my mind the most vivid, like I rented a lot of bad games, and mm -hmm. I think the one that sticks out in my mind the most is the first Pokemon Ranger for the DS. Not oh. Great game, but not because, <laughs> not because it was like a particularly good or bad game, but I remember this was a period, I rented it for like three days, I beat the game in that period because I was like a fucked Holy up. Shit. Like, yeah, I, <laughs> I don't think I could possibly do that nowadays, but um. I was having an issue with the touchscreen on my DS where I had put it on sleep mode and at some point during the sleep mode process, the top screen protector had fallen onto the bottom screen, creating this like weird fucked up layered effect on the bottom screen where there were like parts of the touchscreen that were always touched down, rendering Pokemon Ranger next to impossible to play at times and I still managed to somehow beat it because I was just like, three days, gotta roll credits, I'm gonna fucking play Pokemon Ranger. Incredible. <laughs> Incredible. I I love I love that determination. Um, yeah. I also had that game, but I never finished it. it Wait, good. not Ranger. Is it? Is that the same one as Mystery Dungeon? No, no, no. Those no. are different. Those are different. Okay. No, Ranger's Ranger is the one where you draw circles. Yeah, yeah. You draw a bunch of no. circles. 
Okay, right, Mystery Dungeon is, is the Mystery one where Dungeon. you're like really melancholy Pokemon in the Pokemon world. Yeah, like you world. are the Pokemon. Yeah, and, it's and like everyone's kind of real sad. depressed. Yeah, yeah, it's a dungeon crawler. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So one thing um, I've been like, Waypoint is like the one video game podcast I listen to very regularly, like at least a couple times a week. Um, it is my I love how long y'all's podcast is. Like I I know some people don't like long podcasts, but I put on Waypoint when I clean. Like, oh, okay. or when I do a task I really hate, um, I fucking hate cleaning the bathroom. And like, I'm like, I gotta wait till they upload a new one. And that's, 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 uh, my, my relationship with Waypoint. So thank you for that. But you've mentioned, um, on the show that you studied engineering at one point. So yeah, my actual academic background starts, uh, when I was in high school, I was pretty convinced I wanted to do engineering because... Ooh. Uh, so like my actual, like, what does Renata want to do arc begins with me at 12 years old being like, I want to write about video games. Cause I read game informer. Mm-hmm. And then I, uh, wrote uh, a review for, uh, Bioshock infinite. And then another one, this is just in the game informers, like internal review, like, co- like community review system. I went wrote, wrote, yeah. wrote, wrote one for Bioshock infinite and one for dishonored one. Uh, but then I soon got bored with it afterwards because at the time game writing was super fucking boring. And another uh, another wrinkle here is that um, one of my special interests with like autism is is communication and language and writing. And so I get very very excited when I'm reading good writing and I'm like reading engaging writing to the point where I get like a physical feeling in my jaw hmm. where it's like synesthesia esque. And so when I would read games magazines, I would be like, this is so fucking boring. I love video games so much. And I want to write about them. This is all so fucking boring uh, and then around like age 14 austin walker releases the piece um oh god um real human beings uh, uh which is about uh, shadow of mordor watchdogs and the new npc oh, uh, and i read okay. that piece and it completely changes my idea of what video games writing can be and i get really into the idea of being a games writer and then around 2015 i'm like friends with a bunch of people uh like call, like friends with people in the industry i'm 15 years old Gamergate happens. Uh, and then basically all interest I had in that as a field completely evaporates, both because of the harassment campaign, but also because of the like logistics of getting into the industry yeah. felt so impossible as to be like, this is this is nothing. This is yeah. not a plan. How, how were you um, friends with people in the industry already at 15? So uh, basically when I was talking about uh, Rooster Teeth earlier, mm-hmm. so I started watching the Rooster Teeth podcast. And then from there, I started watching their streams. And then one time... Uh, one of their members was doing a stream on their personal account uh, where they were having a bunch of people from the Something Awful forums guest. <laughs> and the Something Awful forums are where Let's Play as a as like an idea. Yeah. Let's Play as like a form begins on the Something Awful forums uh, with, um, you can debate about who it was, but our, the argument is that it's this guy called Slow Beef. Mm-hmm. And so I start watching um, Slow Beef and Diabetes, uh, these like uh, wow. old school Something Awful. These names aged perfectly. Just Incredible. Wow. Slow Beef and I started watching their shit. And then eventually, one day, uh, the um, Something Awful folks, uh, one of them is a guest on a streaming collective called Stream Friends. Uh, and Stream Friends is the original project of uh, some familiar names. Uh, Austin Walker, Janine Hawkins, Jack DeKeet, uh, oh, wow. uh, Keith J. Carberry, uh, Soha Kareen, now over at uh, wow. Riot. Yeah. Um, Scott Benson did some stuff uh, with them. Um, Nick Scratch, Alicia Akampora, uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. That's so and so cool. basically, 
I was one of 50 people or like 40 people, like 25 and 50 people who watched their streams regularly. <laughs> and I was a super, 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 super avid chat user. Huh. Uh, and I was 12 or 13 at the time. Mm. And so basically all of these people who are in their uh, early to late 20s uh, are interacting with this 12 year old <laughs> and basically all came to the conclusion where they like, they, this is something I've talked about with, with um, a good friend of mine, Dre, because uh, they were part of it. And they were like, yeah, we were like, what do we do with this kid? <laughs> and, and basically there's a conversation it's like, what the fuck do we do with this kid who watches these streams? And then eventually they came to the conclusion where they're just like, well, it's better that she's here than anywhere else yeah, on the internet. Yeah, that's true. Like, that's we, true. Can, we can do our best. And so... You could have been deep falling group... into, like, eight different pipelines at that's any given true. time. There's, there's exactly. so many, like, alternate universe wrens that it just it yeah. could have been 4chan ren. It <laughs> yeah, something awful to like... 4chan, easy yeah, jump. Absolutely. Such, that absolutely. Is a, that is a simple jump. Yeah. I, I took the much harder jump, which is from something awful to leftist politics yeah that's um, that yeah that's happen. a jump that's happen. a leap um right and so uh, i start hanging out with them uh they are like wow this is an annoying kid but she's nice uh and then she's trying her best right and so around this time i become twitter friends with gita jackson oh wow uh and then gita and i oh wow y'all go far back yes to 2000 no gita and i've known each other since 2015 wow um probably maybe 2014 and so we are friends on Twitter, and then one day, uh, I say something about being in school, and he's like, "Oh yeah, you're in university." And I was like, "No, I'm I'm a sophomore in co uh, in high school." No and they're way. like, "Oh my god, bro!" And I was like, "I know, right?" And then we keep like talking a little bit, but both Gita and I take a Twitter break around the same time and are off for like years yeah and so i'm off twitter for like four or five years in terms of like actually posting like i'm looking at twitter because i'm sick uh but in terms of actually posting i'm not doing and then i come back and then Gita's like oh you're all grown up and i'm like yeah thumbs up and so that is how i befriended a bunch of people very wow. early in my life was just by being a small impressionable child and then um when they told me i was being annoying i actually listened and was like cool i'm gonna really try and grow yeah. which is actually like that exact thing is why i do this job um my kind of whole thesis statement for doing the work that i do is the notion that <sighs> games can and games culture has this really um lucky position that is able to act as an onboarding tool for teaching people how to engage with the world, right? I love yeah. criticism as an art form because it teaches people how to approach systems in their day-to-day -day lives. I do not think that the way that I approach analyzing the systems or mechanics of a game is too distinct from like Marxist, the Marxist theory that I learned in college yeah. and then now apply to like day-to-day -day structures in my life, right? And that was the community that taught me that. Hmm. And so going forward every single time, I apply to a job. I have my overdramatic ass cover letter. I'm always like, I love this. I tell this story of like how I got radicalized as like a young person yeah. and ended up basically being given the best opportunity to grow into someone who I'm excited to be that I could have had. From something I, I, I couldn't awful have asked for more. to capital, the Renata Price story. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> where, where is the memoir? That's so fascinating. Um, so. Like, let's track, I, I know this has become like a biography, so like. No, it's, no, it's fine. It's fine. So I'm happy to do it. college. Yes. Did you go straight from Waypoint from college? 
So I start in, uh, I started university when I was 16. Oh, wow. Um, Taking, basically I would split my time Mm. between going to a university, like uh, in my town. But it was, I was going full time, so I was taking wow. uh, between uh, twelve and sixteen credit hours um, in addition to my high school course load. Um, and so I started doing that when I was in high school. This is also where the engineering part comes in because at this time I was also the uh, president and like head of engineering on a robotics team. Wow, that's um, and cool. Most of my like high school education was in robotics um, and 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 engineering that, that makes this, like, sense small... though talking about like systems and how systems interact mm-hmm. and that kind of thing like I, I can see yeah, that the jump there that tracks yeah I mean I love doing it. I mean I miss working with machines actually a lot one of my favorite things to do was run a manual mill um, my uh, the, my machine shop run it working grandfather uh, rubbed off on me in that regard uh, I love a manual mill um, and so certain uh, college I studied um, English literature political science, uh, communications, uh, a little bit of philosophy. Hmm. Um, if I had stayed an extra year, which would be right now, mm-hmm. uh, I would have uh, finished with English, uh, poli-sci communications with a minor in French and <sighs> peacekeeping and social justice. Holy wow. Shit. God damn. So this is all to say that this is my background. Yeah. Right? This, yeah, is, yeah. this is how I develop the critical background that I do is kind of just by like devouring uh, information as much as I can. Um, so when I am 19 years old, I write an essay, um, called, oh God, uh, these bodies of mine, gender and character creators. Um, and so I write this essay in 2019. Um, I publish it on my, onto my medium blog. It's the first thing I've ever written publicly. It's the only thing I've ever written publicly. Uh, around that time, a medium publication called One Zero is starting up. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. One Zero was a tech blog or like a tech publication that Medium was running during this era where Medium didn't know how it wanted to run its business. Uh, and so one of the things that they did a little was... foreshadowing. <laughs> exactly. Um, they opened up all of these little businesses, uh, all these little like, that's that's extremely dismissive. One Zero was sick. They opened up all of these smaller publications, uh, and basically what they would do is they would find great medium writers and be like, hey, can we give you like $250? Because it's, it was funded by venture capital, oh, yeah, so they had a pretty good budget until it was completely ripped away from them. Yeah, you have to get in in the bubble when they're still throwing money at it, yeah. Exactly, and I did. So at 19, I wrote this article called These Bodies of Mine, Gender and Character Creators, and then I get an email. This was during my sophomore year of college. Mm-hmm. Uh, I get an email Actually, no, it was the end of my freshman year because I wrote it while on, this is another, this is another fun, fun one to sneak in. Uh, I wrote it while on lunch break at my job as a housekeeper. Oh, wow. Um, I also so, clean houses in college. That yes. is, I got fired, my, but. <laughs> wait, you got fired from that job? I didn't know that. Yeah, I got fired because apparently I took too much time off for Christmas break, even though my boss didn't tell me that was too much so time So funny. Off. I was going to say, She also like... only paid us via Venmo. Oh, that's, that's just a kind fake of job. That's sketchy. That's a fake job. And she's also job. a TikToker. Anyway, that's... Did you file that's taxes just... for that job? No. <laughs> Good. Good. I'm, I'm, this I'm part for out. this. No, no, don't cut it <laughs> off. No, this is in Florida. This Statues. is in Florida. There was no laws. No, that's true. Yeah. No okay. laws okay. That's funny. Statue limitations. Yeah. Um... <laughs> so um my coworkers um were deeply supportive of me uh and I I miss them a lot. Uh I actually haven't talked to them since I um came out and like transitioned. It's been a, it's been a really long time because mm-hmm. I didn't know how they'd react to it. But really close with these coworkers to the point where 
They knew I wanted to write, and so they would cover for me uh, during lunch. And they would be like, listen, there would be some days where they would be like, listen, take an extra hour just to like work on your stuff. Uh, We will take care of like these, this wing of the dorms. Like you do a lot and you're really fast because we were, we were a really fast housekeeping crew. Mm -hmm. uh, And I was particularly fast and they were like, you're really fast. We don't want more work. So like truly just chill. Uh, I also have narcolepsy, and so when I had bad sleep attacks, they would be like, "Just go take a nap on a couch. Like you're fine. Mm-hmm. Don't don't even worry about it." They were so sweet to wow. me. So during this time, I start writing, uh, and I write this essay about gender and character creators, and then I get an email from this medium publication called One Zero, and this uh, the editor in chief at the time was like, "Hey, can I give you two hundred and fifty dollars?" I was like, "Can you do what?" And <laughs> you're like, like, "Can yeah. you? <laughs> can I give you two hundred fifty dollars and like?" lightly edit this like barely edit it at all just so it's like ready to go on like a website and i was like uh gita is this normal and they went no yeah what shut the fuck up what are you talking about that doesn't i've never heard of this happening once in my career yeah and so i was like okay yes please 250 dollars because like what why would i say no yeah right um i get the money at this point, I start like a, a short freelancing relationship with that website. I do another art, I do another essay for them, both coming around 2,000 words, both get paid $250. Uh, and this is how I like start writing at the end of my freshman year of college and the beginning of my sophomore year. Uh, around the beginning of my sophomore year, I start writing for, I send in a pitch for an article about Star Wars KOTOR 2, Let's fucking The go. Force, and Foucault. Um, because I have this argument about um, wow, the that, force. I feel like, the, it, I feel like Noah made that in his mind. <laughs> I love I that. This, I adore that. I have this idea of the of, of the force as a substantiation of power knowledge and the way that the force specifically functions in KOTOR 2 as like a, basically the light and dark sides of the force aren't actually um, particular ideologies. They're methodologies of power. They are ways of doing power, which in and of themselves create bodies of knowledge, which then okay. reflect back and develop uh, new technologies of power. Oh, so, rules, yeah. you know, for example, take how the Jedi uh, uh, understand violence, right? The technology of power they're doing is about enhancing their own body to be greater capable of violence. Mm-hmm. And through applying this technology of power, an ideology emerges, which then reinforces producing similar technologies of power. Yeah. And basically what you have is the light and dark sides are of the force then become not like actual things, just ways of interacting with the world that produce ideology. Mm. Um, Whoa. Which is why the Jedi are so much about, both the Jedi and the Sith are about control. They're just about control through different methodologies of power and through different understandings of what violence is. Um, And like, this is all to say, I write this article for Fanbyte. It's like 1,300, 1,400 words. uh, And then I try to pitch them another thing, like a personal essay. It falls through because of personal reasons. Uh, and then eventually I apply to be their intern. I become the fan by intern in summer of 2020 at the beginning of the pandemic, maybe. Gotcha. So you, um, but you didn't get fired as the fan by intern. You did. <laughs> the... No, I didn't get Charles. Yeah. You um, didn't get laid off. Yeah. No. Fuck. No. Uh, and so I work with Fanbyte, and then I graduate college. And then right out of college, I basically looked at two paths. I was either going to uh, apply. Well, actually, I didn't look at two paths. I, I looked at one path. And then someone threw the other path at me, um, like a like a steroid era fastball. So path one was uh, I take a year off to work on my writing, and then I apply to MFA programs in poetry. Yeah. 
um, because I was looking to get my master's degree um, in fine arts uh, and creative writing with a specialization in poetry. Uh, and so I was going to uh, make the very stupid decision of going to graduate school to see if I could become a career poet, which is a, st it's a stupid idea. But it's the kind of stupid idea that gives you two years uh, of accumulating a lot of debt. Yeah. But it gives you two yeah. years to develop your critical toolkit yeah. and develop like a skill set. Not having to be a real of... person for two years. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Not having to be a person for two years at the cost of two years worth of debt. Yeah. Um, Instead, uh, at the last minute, I'm quite literally typing my applications. I get a message from John Warren, uh, the former head of media at Fanbyte, yeah. where John goes, hey, listen, I know you said you didn't want the Kotaku job. Uh, I know you said you weren't interested in, in, in applying for this Kotaku job. Patricia just released this letter. I read the letter, and I was like, that actually aligns with what I would want to do. Hmm. And so on August 2nd, uh, 2021, I applied uh, and sent in a cover letter and applied to Kotaku. Uh, on August 4th, 2021, I had my interview with Patricia, and by August 15th, I was starting uh, over at Kotaku. Wow, uh, and that's then... hella fast. Yes, it was. And so I worked there for. Uh, I, I have. I currently hold the Kotaku speed run. Uh, I, I have the world record. Actually, I do. You know, I'm number one in one thing. You were right. I have the number one fastest speed running time for Kotaku.com. <laughs> I was there for five months and 11 days, baby. Wow. That's impressive. That's impressive. Kotaku is why I moved to New York. Um, and during the, basically, uh, what GeoMedia wouldn't do was give me money because my non-disparagement clause is up, baby. Oh, nice. Let's um, go. Let's fucking go. GeoMedia, yeah. fuck Jim Spanfell, he's a fucking herb. Yeah. Um, suck my dick from the back, retire, bitch. Um, <laughs> None of those are like particularly hot takes anyway. So like. I went I went, yeah. I went, went to the strikes because go fuck yourself, bro. I didn't even work there at the time and I wanted to get your ass. <laughs> um, so I uh, had to move to New York on a month's notice from rural Ohio with zero savings. Oh my Luckily, God. I was working at Starbucks at the time. And so what I was doing was I was working, I would do uh, my eight hours on the clock at Kotaku, and then I would go to Starbucks uh, and work a four to six hour shift, oh, and I would God. do that Holy shit, for dude. a month straight. And after that month, I had enough money to move to New York uh, while wiping out my save. Like, I, I wiped my yeah. shit out because uh, I have rent, uh, but... It was enough. I was able to like save up enough money from living at home, working at Starbucks, and working at Kotaku um, to be able to afford to move to New York. I moved to New York, and then the job opening happened at Waypoint, uh, and it was my dream job. And I took a leap of faith, um, wow. which has been just which has been much I mean, better for you. Seems like you are thriving. It's a dream come true. I mean, yeah. like I, I think that. Well, I wouldn't say thriving, but it's it is it is a dream come true. I mean, like it is it's the publication that made me want to want to write about video games. Yeah. Um, Austin's work, Rob's work were so deeply influential on my writing. It is almost embarrassing at times. Yeah. Um, and, and also in like my like public performance, right? And so it's been an absolute joy since I since I started working there. Um, in spite of the uh, intense difficulties of moving into an extremely public facing position. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh and one which requires uh constant social one constant social performance mm -hmm. and yeah uh to a um uh slight shift to what and how i am writing yeah uh, and so it's been it's been really great 
Um, I'm extremely happy. Sorry about the incredibly long-winded answers. No, 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 this is really cool. I was also going to ask you, like, you entered games journalism at a time, well, I feel like there's not really any great time. There's never but, a good like, time for this, yeah. At a time when, like, a lot of, like, tenuous stuff has happened. Like, there's already been one publication you've written for that essentially no longer exists. Yeah. It doesn't. You know? Yeah, it doesn't exist. Yeah. Um, how How yeah. does that feel? I mean, like, I've known for a long time that the media industry is a brick building burning. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> right. Like, this is why, this is why when I was 15, I mentioned earlier, I was like, I'm not going to get into games writing is because I knew then what was coming. And what's coming is the fact that the ad based model is dying. Yeah. For a lot of reasons. Oh, yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, one, the ways in which people are consuming content has changed. Uh, the way that we think about writing as content is is a factor in this, but also the ways in which people are are consuming said content is changing. Mm -hmm. Right. That's point A. Uh, point B: Pivot to video wiped out an entire generation. Classic for no fucking yeah. Jesus, dude. Pivot to video was so a grift bad. that Facebook did yep. that wiped out an entire generation of writers. Yeah. Gone. Done. Obliterated. Yeah. An entire generation of publications just yeah. out the fucking window. The yeah. buzz speedification. No, you're, you're preaching to the exactly. choir. I, I work for a newspaper that has existed since 1992. Like, it's yeah. it's yeah. just, all it did is just fuck everybody up completely. Yeah. And it's just been recovery mode since, like, what, 07, 08? It's ridiculous. Yeah. And I'm also in a, a weird situation where I wanted to be a public radio journalist. Classic. And then I ended up becoming a podcast producer who also does journalism but it's because like basically all of podcasting are ex public radio and npr people yeah right like that's yeah. that's why podcasts sound like npr is because they were <laughs> written by the same fucking people right like so yeah so that's uh point a and point b and then the third thing this is this is the part that really gets me mm. is that even if people were consuming content at the exact same rate that they had been for years right even if the insane numbers that websites used to get were still there. Yeah. Just just noting, uh, a lot of websites were hitting like a million page views a day, like like minimum. I I mean I can say that like at least a website I, I worked for was aiming for a million page views a day mm -hmm. minimum, uh, and that was like a that was a thing that we were held to. Um, <sighs> not hard, but like it was a thing we were held to. It was a, it was a total of across the website a million page views a day, which like I'll say this, we hit it every day from the day I started. Damn. Um, and so, um, yeah, I mean, listen, a number go up. Uh, but here's the thing is that shit doesn't matter uh, because the core of it is that uh, our entire industry is built on the advertising industry, mm -hmm. um, believing that ads work. And that is the that is the part of the bubble that is going to burst soon. And that I'm that I'm very confident is at the is at the edge of bursting is the idea that advertisers have that the specific kinds of advertisements that they do on websites actually work and they don't. Because there's no measurable way of doing it. If you use click-through rate, it's a shitty fucking metric because that's not how advertising works. Exactly. That's how, not how advertising has ever worked. The purpose of an advertisement is not to get someone to look at a thing and be like, oh, I want to learn more about soy milk today. No, no one's doing that. No yeah. one is doing that. Instead, you are seeing the thing that says soy milk and it's getting so deep in your, in your little fucking monkey brain yeah. that like the next time you see soy milk, you're like... Ah, uh, damn. I know that yeah, shit. It's, and like, it's not supposed to do anything active in the moment. It's to get you to, like, Homer Simpson salivate when you see Silk brand soy milk at right. Walmart the next time yeah. you're there. <laughs> right. I, exactly. I hate it. I, I mean, I, I, it's so smart, but then every single time I see 
a new grocery brand that has that abstract millennial art that looks like a New York Times bestseller, I'm like attracted to it. Yeah. And I'm like, when have I ever wanted to drink chickpea milk? Like right. fucking never. But it looks like a Sally Rooney book. And I'm like tempted to put it in my cart. It's ridiculous. Normal people so, as milk. Literally, bro. <laughs> um, this is all about to collapse. So instead, yeah. what people are doing instead of, of of the page side ads, which don't work, is that they are doing um, sponsorships, which is actually what uh, is going on on YouTube right mm. now, is that like a lot of people, those sponsorships actually work. Mm. Those actually work. All the people who are That's actually, the problem. does that mean people are actually downloading Rage Shadow Legends? <laughs> SpawnCon makes money. Yeah. SpawnCon actually makes money and does convert sales way better. Mm. Um, SpawnCon, it, it it just works. Um, it is more effective. Uh, it's more cost effective. Mm. Uh, it's more reliable. It is all of these things, and it is virtually incompatible um, with the vast majority of good journalism. Yeah. Um, mm. Completely, completely incompatible. Uh, and so, the fuck are you supposed to do? The ad industry is dying. Uh, people need infinite profits. Um, and so, your revenue source gone your investors even more fucking annoying because they're venture capitalists exactly, now and you yeah. just got sold um and so i got into a brick building burning and like a little bit ago um and this has actually made me very sad to do i was like put out a call on twitter like a couple months ago i like saw this two months yeah. ago where i was like hey if anyone needs like advice let me know uh and then I believe it was 48 hours later uh fanbite was laid off yeah. everyone at fanbite was laid off including my girlfriend uh and so, oh, so i sorry. deleted that tw- oh she's fine um Good. um she's she's doing okay um so i just deleted that tweet because yeah. like i'm not leaving that shit up because i don't think it's a good <laughs> i do not think that going into this as like a career uh is a good idea yeah you have to you have to recognize it's going to be short term if you're going into it yeah you have to go on recognizing it's short term or the only way to do it is to do it like that is that is the other thing is that like if you want to write good criticism if you want to put good writing on the internet it's you just have to do that and like maybe it will turn into something Mm -hmm. but like if you go in with the assumption that it will it will kill you yeah it will it will run you into the fucking ground for next to nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, mm. It will make you extremely vulnerable to people who will take advantage of you, yeah. to people who will underpay you um, for good work. And it's just, it's not tenable. Yeah. And I don't think it's a good idea. And I like, I, I say all of this knowing that like, I mean, I just described to you my path to get here. Yeah. It's insane and abnormal and so much based on uh, an exceptional amount of luck on my part uh, mm-hmm. in terms of like being encouraged and taught by a lot of people who cared a lot and gave me the opportunity yeah. to grow into someone who was technically capable of doing this job. Yeah. Uh, and then my happening to have uh, a, a, an annoying sense of ambition, well, which people find endearing. And in, in no, um, no discredit here, the quality of your work at all. Yeah, like you're talking absolutely. to two people who very deeply respect the work you do. But, like, you were in the right place at the right time. Like, you were in the right, right place at the right time. Dozens, and you knew the right over. people. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Over and over and over yeah. and over and over again. And the thing that I wanted to do when I put out that tweet was to be that for other people. Yeah. I mean, like, since I left Fanbyte, um, every year 
uh, around the internship time, I put out a call uh, to be like, hey, or I, I did previously put out a call to be yeah. like, hey, any prospective interns who have questions, let me know. Yeah. Um, and then um, some folks who reached out to me that uh, uh, Jay, uh, 2021's Fanbyte intern, um, Charles, 2022's Fanbyte intern, um, Isaiah Colbert, Kotaku writer, uh, they reached out to me about that after I was the Fanbyte intern in 2020. Uh, and then I recommended them to Patricia Hernandez uh, to be hired at Kotaku. Wow! Like you can do you can do it, but it doesn't it doesn't matter because like you can only your arms can only reach so many people. Yeah. And yeah. like that is the that is the tragedy of doing this is that like you know I can talk as big of a game as I want in terms of like I think that this work is capable of radicalizing people. Blah 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 blah. And I think all of that is true. I think that it will help people grow as people and all of these things. But actively affecting people's material conditions in the day to day, which is what, like, in some ways, a lot of the most important work, especially as someone who is very lucky, is is trying to give people access to material resources that you were lucky enough to have access to. I think that is like kind of my job. There aren't many ways to do it because, like, for as much as I can put someone in contact with the right person or give them tips or read their drafts for them or do all of this editing doesn't matter because freelance budgets aren't there yeah mm -hmm. they're just they're just not ads aren't there i mean like if you want to get into this to make money one good fucking luck two the only way is user supported content the only way is subscription models that's the only i'll, I'll be honest that's the only reason waypoint still exists like the only thing protecting my job at all is the fact that people give us five dollars a month yeah mm. yeah the um, waypoint plus really seemed like it was like a watershed moment that i i don't know if people recognize maybe maybe people in the industry did but outside the industry i don't think it was really recognized for like how big of a deal it was but i think like in the next few years it probably will be recognized as like wait a minute holy shit this was a really big deal yeah i mean like the problem is that the other websites that have that have done this that have made this pivot uh, the other notable one is Defector. And Defector is a really weird example because Deadspin is the product of GeoMeet. It's not the product of GeoMeet. It's the product of the Gawker era, which means it is a website that is personality-driven, mm -hmm. but the personality-driven uh, aspects of the website are in its writing, not in its voices, mm -hmm. right? Not in its streams, not in its podcast, none of that shit, right? Um, mm -hmm. that's, that's a good point, yeah. So it's like yeah. in the house style rather than in like the, you know these people, yeah. Exactly. And so that's why Defector is able to make the money that it does yeah. and able to hire as Defector made $3 million last year. God. They hired, they have like 60 freelancers and like, like 20 full-time staff. It's fucking crazy how well they're doing. And they're the only place doing that well because the only way you can make that transition successfully from the ad-based model to uh, a subscription-based model is if you build an audience. Yeah. Uh, and building an audience- Normal gossip. Yeah and that type of thing right um and building an audience is and this is like the difficult part isn't just about getting eyes on your thing mm -hmm. especially for something like waypoint and like the thing that i've always said is that like if people get onboarded onto what waypoint does uh like like one show ah oh, man i really like my turn the movie podcast mm -hmm. great cool that is where and this is going to sound super villainy and i and i know that 
Every, you have to have that little villain voice in your head if you're going to survive under late stage capitalism. That's just that's exactly. I, it sucks. We're all, we all we're, hate it, yeah. but yeah. The, yeah. the villain part says once you have people in the door, and this is also the part of me that was like radicalized as a child yeah. and believes that radicalization through media mm. and through culture is possible, is that what you have to do is show people that they already like a certain kind of thing. Mm. I actually believe that most people like media criticism. Oh, yeah. Like this might be my my little special interest autistic brain speaking. I think that most people really like engaging with media in theory, but they never are taught to do yeah. it. They're never taught to do it and they're never taught what good criticism looks mm -hmm. like. And so yeah. you have this entire fucking market of people yeah. who are not at, who have no idea that they have an interest in something. And so the work becomes one finding those people. Mm. And then two, teaching them that they already like what you do. Yeah. And that is that is the double edged sword. Because yeah. I mean, we know that the market exists. We know that this group of people exists because motherfuckers like H Bomber Guy, Jacob Geller, yeah. video essayists are popular not just because they are charming, but because there's an extant marketplace and an extant group of people who like this kind of work and the specific way in which this work pro is produced means that only so much can come out of quality in a given amount of time. Jacob Geller is producing as much as he functionally can with the workload that he has. The same goes for all of those other creators, right? So there is this um, extremely large market, quote, I'm gonna use this very loosely, this extremely large audience of people who like this content who are not going over to the written side. And that is fascinating to me, finding the people and figuring out how to make that translation of you love Jacob Geller's video, great, cool, read this 4,000 word essay on Disco Elysium, or listen to this more casual, like conversational podcast. That's a really hard transition to make, mm -hmm. but I think that it is the transition that a lot of places are going to have to make yeah. uh, in order to not just stay relevant, because relevancy doesn't fucking matter anymore. This is already such a niche like portion of the of the world, yeah. a niche portion of the media industry, and niche portion of the fucking games press. Are you kidding yeah. me? IGN has 160 employees. They dwarf every other publication to such a degree that they might as well be in a different fucking industry, yeah. right? So the only way to do this is to try and convince people that they already like what you do. Mm. Uh, and that is so that is you have to trick people into realizing they like what you do and that is really hard and is the only way to make the number go up enough to like keep your bills paid the the especially yeah. dark part here too is that this is functionally how everything involving the internet works i mean what you're functionally describing is like the alt-right pipeline it's you yes. start people yes, 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 you yes, start yes, people yes. with i don't like women in star wars or I I didn't really like that episode of that TV show. And you just keep pushing them and pushing them and pushing them further along until they don't know a moment where they didn't like Ben Shapiro. Right. This is what culture does. Yes, this is what YouTube autoplay does. Uh, first it's like, first it's Minecraft and then it's like election denial. Yeah, exactly. And then it's, did the Holocaust really happen? Like, yeah. It's actually a very straight line. No, like. I, I will. I don't want to derail this too much, but I will never forget like, and Ren, you're like roughly the same age as we are, so you'll probably yeah. be able to relate. You remember when like there was a flashpoint moment where like it, it seemed like a lot of people around me who knew how computers work understood like how to work the Tor browser and how to basically get onto the dark web to like browse no. a little. Did you not go through this? 
I did not have Tori, this experience. Tori, did you have this experience or is this just me? I think that's just you. It's I, just, okay, I, fine. This is not a, maybe. Listen, <laughs> I was busy being a theater kid in the dark web. So How? there was a. I'm sorry that happened. I, yeah, I mean, like, I, I came out just fine. There was a, there was a moment. Oh, no, no, I wasn't. I wasn't. Me being oh, a theater okay. kid. <laughs> That's, let, let, let me be real clear. I deserve financial compensation. I can't talk shit. I was I worked backstage. Yeah. I was the Damn. I was the I love honestly the crew people are better than the actors. Like they're the I they was, were the real homies. This is a moment of honesty. I was the backstage pretty boy. Aww. Like I was the I was the I was the pretty boy who like would like lift all of the heavy <laughs> objects and like, oh, and like I love that. And like carry people off set when they fainted. Oh, yeah. like, Everybody I was, had a crush on you. Yeah, I would yeah. say yeah, absolutely would have had a crush on you. Awful bisexual energy. I was the worst bisexual man ever. It was it was not. I mean, I was fine, yeah. but like I was, it was incredibly on brand. As you were saying, no, I no, no, you're fine. As you were saying about the tour browser. Um, late in high school, probably like for some people our age, like early when we were going into college. I remember there was a group of my friends and I who like all figured out how to work the tour browser and play along on like the dark web. And for people listening who don't know what this is, it's. It's all of the unindexed websites that are on the internet. So it's the stuff that you can't get to via Google. And sometimes it's the stuff you can get to via Google. And I remember this is like, this is well after like WikiLeaks was a thing that people were, were re- this is well after a point where like WikiLeaks is something that you could just visit on Google. And this is not a, this is when you can torrent stuff just by like Googling, take me mm-hmm. to the pirate bay. So this is basically like, one sec, this is, this is. No one's allowed to talk about. Yeah, this, okay, that's true. You can still do that's that. That's true. We're, can, no, 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 no. You can talk about that. I just want to note that. Yeah, like, you can still just go to. Listen, the Internet Archive has everything. This is true. It's true. No it one, does. No one talks but the about Internet it Archive because is like Yahoo anime rules. Like you're not allowed to say. No, exactly. I love it so. I love it so. This is just this is a digression. Yes. I love it so much that all all of. All journalists, yes. all academics, literally everyone so has just sat there, yeah, dead silent. It's been like, we're not going to say shit to the lawyers, right? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And everyone, everyone is like, going to write an article? No, yeah, I'm writing that shit in an article. Yep. I'm not going into articles. Not, no one's going to study it. It's just that, it's no just that one shitty. It. We're all going to use it. It's just that one shitty YA author who's trying to get the Internet Archive killed, right? Like, exactly. Yeah. It's, it is the one yeah, guy. It's yeah. like one dude, but. The, the the point of this wild digression that I'm trying to make is like there was a moment for a lot of people I knew where like being able to access unindexed web pages seemed like a really cool, really like th- it, uh, it kind of threw the dynamic that we had with the internet on its head where we were being pushed into the walled garden phase of the internet and none of us wanted to be using Facebook or be using Tumblr, but we were doing it because forums websites were just not what they used to be. And so I remember one night I was like, playing on the I was like checking out busted links to see stuff on the dark web and I got to one and it was just pure holocaust denial and it like <gasps> I'm old enough and also like a Jew so it it like I wasn't ever going to be convinced but I mean like I'm looking at this and I'm just thinking like how many other people who are like my age or a little younger and so impressionable and so looking at like the magic and the promise that the internet has and the the finding these interests that you never knew you had or that you knew you had mm-hmm. but couldn't put the words to and mm-hmm. boom it's but look at this overhead shot of the chimneys i mean there's no way those could have been functional really and it's just it's such an insidious thing that the internet does right. and it's but it, mm-hmm. but you're right in order to do anything 
to in order to get anything out of the internet in a way where you can like actually pay people a wage for doing stuff on the internet you have to do this but in reverse for kind of good right yeah no exactly like the the the, the key is that the structures of culture and like the the systems that i'm talking about already exist we built them accidentally um we built them accidentally or other people built them intentionally the key for me is is first and this is why i study communications mm -hmm. acknowledging that the system is real and that it exists and mm -hmm. that you built it and we can all and thank the two. darpa program for it thank you u.s exactly. government <laughs> step two is realizing that what has happened things like gamergate um all of these like processes of radicalization happened um just like semi-accidentally yeah. so, semi-accidentally but also that's an opportunity because you can put once you understand the system once you understand how this process functions you can put your hand on the scale yeah. mm -hmm. and once you're putting on your hand on the scale that's when you're cooking with gas yeah. maybe. and this is why like i like i describe myself as having been radicalized because yeah, that's child, just marks because, like, really <laughs> right you can once you understand yeah. the function of culture and you can put your hands on it you can do crazy yeah. shit you can do, and, and this is why I, at the end of the day, I was talking to my ex recently, and I was like, uh, she was comparing me to a Lord of the Rings character. We which were one, talking, which one we though? Were... Strider. Okay, that's fun. Uh, Ar yeah. yeah uh, Aragorn. Uh, because she was like, I would describe you as defined by a hopeful sense of melancholy, like hopeful melancholy. Mm. Um, mm. And like, that is, that is it for me, is that like, the world we live in kind of sucks uh, and is like deserving of sorrow and melancholy, mm -hmm. but like the structures we have built are also structures that we can control. Um, a world built by human hands can be affected by human hands yeah. still. Um, I kind of reject the idea of the of the superstructure as something that we can never touch mm -hmm. and just believe that something is the, the superstructure is something we have to touch collectively, right? And over time, um, not in the like increment, like not in like the lib incrementalist yeah. way, but in the like this is a process uh, right talk about and tickling so, my i haven't heard anybody use the word superstructure in any kind of like real context in so long like i feel like it's really like opening neural pathways back up that i, I haven't touched that. since college this just shows how like different people are even though they might come out of the same degree program i also have a communications degree but like our classes were different <laughs> mine was just like how to write press releases oh, i'm oh, a fucking clear. bimbo I learn this shit in compared class. to you <laughs> I didn't learn this shit in class because this is the other note about my college I didn't know. I went to a shitty school. I went to a fucking awful mm -hmm. school, but I had good professors. Yes. And That's so when I went, mm. I would go to my professors and I would go, hi, Dr. Bandy. I'm really bored in this 300 level course you're teaching. Shit. This is fucking killing. I'm going to die here. I'm going <laughs> to pass away. This is for children. And she would go, yes, it is. I am teaching this class as if it were for children. You're, you're correct. And then I would go, Dr. Bandy, this makes me sad. And then she would go, well, Renata, what if instead you did an independent study with me next semester where we just did a bunch of film theory together? Wow. Uh, and then when you do that with six different professors and convince one of them to teach like a borderline graduate study uh, intro course on Marxism uh, for four people, mm -hmm. because you talk about Marxism in class enough where he's just like, all right, fuck it, Ren. You get to have a class. You get to have a class where you get to talk about Marxism. And I said, thank you, Dr. Grossman. Um, this is what I did in university was basically I would convince my professors to let me do things that weren't actually offered at that, that school. Rules. Like, for example, a poetry independent study. The professor, I, the creative writing professor I worked with wasn't even a poet. He, did, he didn't teach poetry, but he was like... <laughs> I will supervise you doing a creative, like a poetry um, 
uh, independent study. I will I will give you a grade for that. And I was like, thank you. Um, so yeah, this is this is how I ended up with this particular background. It wasn't actually the class I was taking. Yeah. It was the really sick professors who basically indulged all of my uh, worst habits. <laughs> wow. Yeah. That's that's really cool. And this is really creative. Too. Yeah. This is okay. This is like the worst pivot of all time because, like, I'm glad you you're gonna do it because such, I was gonna pivot too. You're so. such a fascinating person, <laughs> and like, you have like, I'm just thinking about everything you just said about the, the super systems and everything. And I, I spent way too much time in college being more concerned with whoever wanted to date me, um, instead of actually thinking about like Marks. the shit I was reading. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was unfortunate, <laughs> um, and so. I, I guess I have to be the bimbo who pivots to this question. That's okay. No, it's okay. What are your top five favorite wait, games? Wait, wait, Tori, before you pivot to that, can I pivot to a different question that we skipped over? Fine. Okay. You're going pivot, to pivot to video. I'm going to pivot. I, I'm, gonna, I'm pivoting to video. Um, no, it, so we've, we've talked a bit about like your, your writing and how you got into this really heady kind of writing where you were so inspired by mm -hmm. some of the people you were reading. One article, I believe you have it still pinned on Twitter about your your gender transition and Valorant and how that game kind of like yes, 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 helped yes, yes, yes. you find yourself. Like I, I've mm -hmm. never even played Valorant, but that is like a really moving piece. And I was wondering like, are there other games that stick out to you as as things that you can see like dotted on a timeline that were there for you during these really pivotal moments oh, in your life? Oh God, yes. So there's an essay that never got released, mm -hmm. uh, never got finished uh, for Waypoint um, that has instead turned into like a starting to turn into like an actual collection of poems oh, cool. uh, because this is a quick note on my writing practice and this, uh, this is going to be insane i'm going to say something insane uh, a lot of my essays and articles actually start out uh, like my actual essays my capital e essays mm. uh, actually start as poetry oh cool uh, and Whoa. so what i do is i write poems and fragments and just little lines and then i basically i'm gonna use a really nerdy uh really embarrassing uh reference here so in the manga Sakamoto days, which is about an assassin, a former assassin named Sakamoto, um, there is this character who comes from this family where uh, basically her whole thing is that she doesn't actually, she's not like, she doesn't like being an assassin. She doesn't really kill people. But here's the thing. She can always see the line. When she looks at a person, something about her can just see the line of point A to point B. How do you kill this person? What is the route through which you take? And then doing it as easy as just walking the line and she recognizes the line like that and so the way i write essays is i think in theses just in my day-to-day -day life um, i think in theses uh, and so what happens is once i see the thesis like the, the the structure of the piece follows naturally and so i look at the line and then i look at the like the fragments that i have and then i see the narrative that runs between like line of poetry a and like unrelated graph b yeah. and i see the narrative and then the piece kind of just emerges from there um which is to say that like seeing the line and like uh dotting through this like narrative of my life and how i kind of developed the person that i am is like the the way i see the world and so there was an essay that was going to be written about heaven will be mine uh, and we know the devil that was going to be an essay about um transness um and an essay about queerness broadly mm -hmm. and how um I was going to write this four-way point, and who knows, I still might, but is instead turned into like a bunch of poems, um, which is neither here nor there. But the general thrust of that essay was about a, I think I've told this story before, a time when I was 15 years old, 
uh, when I was 15 years old and talking to some of the people who I was talking about earlier from that streaming mm-hmm. platform. One day I was on a Discord call uh, and everyone there was 10 years older than me. And I get on this call and I'm hanging out with my friends and they go, hey, we want you to play a game. Uh, it would be important to us if you played this game. I was like, okay, yeah, sure. I'll get around to playing it. What is it? And they're like, it's called We Know the Devil. And I was like, yeah, cool, great. I'll play We Know the Devil uh, at some point. And they were like, no, 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 no. We want you to play it tonight. Oh. And I was like, tonight? And they were like, yes. And I was like, I don't have it. And then one of them was like, here is my itch.io <laughs> account. Here is my here is my password. Here is my username. Log into the account, download the game and play it. So I go, I download this game, I play it. Uh, for those of you who aren't familiar, We Know the Devil is a visual novel um, that's about two hours long uh, about a group of three kids uh, at summer camp. All of them are queer, and the game is basically about exploring queerness and uh, religious trauma mm-hmm. uh, through the lens of the idea that basically these kids are going to be possessed by the devil, um, which in this case is 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 leaning into their queer their queerness. Yeah. Um, I'm already obsessed with this. Their core person. So I play the game. Uh, one of the characters in that game is a trans girl. Her name is Venus. Uh, and so I play through the game, and I pretty much immediately realize what's happening. Mm. Uh, it's that I'm 15 at the time, I identify as a bi dude, and I've convinced myself uh, that that is the case. Uh, and so after I finish the game, I'm like, wait, do they think? And then I get on the call, I get back on the call, and they go, hey, which character did you relate to the most? Uh, and I said, uh, it has to be jupiter uh and this is true it was jupiter it was the lesbian it was the dyke um and second place was venus uh and the justification i gave at the time was that um jupiter because of the specific way she experienced desire and shame around desire um was i was like oh i'm bi and like i i I feel this way because i did yeah I, i really thought i did at the time um and I did, just not how I thought. Uh, and then the other one was Venus. I was like, I'm like Venus because I'm anxious. Uh, I have anxiety. <laughs> that is that is the similarity. Um, and then they were like, okay. Uh, and then I went and I took a shower. Uh, and I turned the water up as hot as I could stand and tried not to think about my body. Uh, and then I got out of the shower and came back. Uh, and then I went to bed and the next day I woke up to a DM from that entire group of people being like, Hey, listen, we feel like we fucked up yesterday. Uh, and so we are going to stop interacting with you because you are, uh, young and impressionable and we don't want to fuck up. And so basically that whole, that whole group of people just disappeared, who I was really exceptionally close to, um, just gone like that overnight wow and so I, I can imagine it feels like your whole world just like closed in on you yeah this is also when i was 15 yeah uh, I, and I just starting high this. school God. just this is my freshman year of high school maybe sophomore at the time uh and i just my whole it felt like my world was falling apart luckily i found good friends pretty much immediately after that i'm tremendously lucky in that regard yeah. but this happens uh and then i don't play the game for four years uh and so then I start HRT, I uh, come out as non-binary in 2018, 2000, no, online, I come out as non-binary in 2017, mm-hmm. and my day-to-day life, it's 2018, I start wearing makeup in late 2018, early 2019, uh, 2000, late 2019, I start HRT, uh, and then in mid-2020, I come out as trans femme. 
And I, yeah. And then in 2021, I replay Wing of the Devil. Uh, and I play Wing of the Devil, I get through. And then there's a scene where two girls are in a closet uh, and they talk about their utter inability to actually say what they need to mm. say uh, in that moment. Uh, let me let me see if I can pull up the uh, exact quote because it's 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 the line that I, I think about it quite literally mm. every day. Here it is. The Midwest is great. All you have to do is not say it out loud. It's like a spell, and you can be as obvious as you want about everything else you can wait it out forever as long as you don't say it and then the other girl goes but even if i don't say it i still feel it holding tight the other girl says it's okay and then she responds is it and then she finishes with i said it's okay so it's okay uh, and then it goes on to talk about uh, the fact that they're in a dark room. Uh, and so there's no confirmation that their hands are touching. It's just hands uh, feeling something in the air. And so I hit that wow. scene uh, at age uh, 21. Yeah, I think I'm 21 by this point. So this was, this was like halfway through last year. And I hit the scene. And I just burst into tears. Yeah. I am just, I'm just actively weeping. Uh, and then I finish the game, and I realize it. It always was Jupiter. The reason that I said Jupiter all those years ago is because I did not yet have language for the fact that I was a huge dyke. Like I just, I didn't realize it was an option. Yeah. It was mm -hmm. a, it was always her. I just didn't know that she was an option for who I could mm -hmm. be, or for how I felt. I didn't realize that how I felt could look like that. Um, and so We Know the Devil is like this big moment in me becoming who I am that like I've been meaning to write an essay about for years and I just haven't been able to get the words quite right. Um, wow. It was actually one of the things I was going to write about for Waypoint, but I mean, I just, I can't. It's not clicking mm -hmm. quite yet. And I don't know if it ever will is the problem. Like, I can yeah. tell this story as much as I want. Uh, and I think it's a good story. And it's a story that I can translate into poetry, yeah. but into an actual essay that has an argument and a structure. I have the argument and the structure. I have a lot of it, but I can't find a line just yeah. yet. Um, I can tell you all of these things about We Know the Devil, all of the things how about structures as a text, all of the ways about how it functions. I can do the same about Heaven Will Be Mine. I can tell you that the game's writing is intimate in a way that feels like breathing in a, in a loud room. It feels like being in like a, in, on a club floor. That is the kind of intimacy it is. It is like a, a fucking trans girl DJ blowing your fucking eardrums out at a club that you have never been to before, and yet you're still there. It is that kind of intimate. And I can say that on this microphone, mm -hmm. but the piece still isn't there. Uh, maybe it never will be. Maybe instead that'll be a poetry collection that comes out at some point. But this is to say that there are plenty of games along the path like that. Mm. The other one is Disco Elysium. Yeah. Um, Disco Elysium was just like, and this is kind of actually getting at the question Tori was going to yeah. ask, which is like, what are my five favorite no, games? No, no, we, we, we can, yeah, we we can, can go for it. slide like, right in there, yeah. We're going to slide right in there. 
So uh, Disco Elysium also is mm. that for me uh, because Disco Elysium at its core is, is a game about trauma. Uh, I wrote a 4,000 word essay uh, for Kotaku uh, about how Disco Elysium is a game about trauma through the metaphor of bullets. And mm. again, because everything comes full circle, I started that essay uh, with fragments of poetry that I wrote in 2019 for a college course uh, looking at the history of uh, violence in the United States and specifically police violence in the United mm. States. Um, and basically used those poems uh, and that like uh, prose poem I did for class as the basic structure around which that Disco Elysium essay is built. Um, because around that time is when I was finally realizing how trauma had like come to fundamentally shape who I mm -hmm. was uh, and the way in which I understand it from like a theoretical perspective. Um, the part of that piece, let's go Elysium Kotaku, that was um, that was borrowed from my college career was there was actually a couple of things. Um, but it was a, it was a, there's a short poetry break in the middle of this piece that goes, and I am not an expert on bullets, but upon contact with a human body, the blunt head compresses skin through sheer velocity until it rips. The spat of blood does not come from the severing of any particular vein, but from the sudden displacement of life. At this point, flesh ripples and bone breaks as energy is dispersed through it. This portion of the body is killed almost instantly. The rest comes later. I once read that the body opens to receive the bullet, and I am not an expert on bullets, but I think it would be more accurate to say that the body, open, closes around the bullet. It does, after all, embrace it in scarring and necrotic tissue. The bullet, then, is a statement. The bullet, then, is an aside. The bullet, then, is not a period. It would be easier if it were a period, but it is instead everything that happens between them. I don't know what to do with that. And so this thing that I write Holy in college yeah, in 2019 amazing. ends up being part of the backbone for this essay that I write in 2021 um, that ends with um, uh, a line about bullets. Yeah. Uh, and so is this, this is all to say that like, I don't know. I don't think that there's a linear way to understand the way that people develop as writers and critics yeah. uh, and the way that they engage with media. It, you'll always keep coming back to it. You always keep coming back to the same things over and over again. It's it's for as much as like my brain wants to latch on to the line. There's not a single line. There's dozens of them running parallel, even interweaving with one another from time to time, breaking that parallel nature and just intersecting. Wow. And like that is. That's writing to me, baby. Yeah. Look at those lines. Wow. Yeah. Isn't that isn't that neat? Um other games I like, because <laughs> uh, that's was just three. Um I love Dishonored series. Shout out, Dishonored. Shout out. Yeah. Um, dab Exactly, dabbing your haters. Um, and this is actually this isn't a fave, this is just something I've been I've been playing a lot recently. Um playing a lot of Hunt Showdown recently. This is okay. a, this is, just this is the vampire what, 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 one, what a right? good game. No. no, uh it is uh this is a I play a lot with Matthew Galt, uh motherboard reporter. Um it is a game uh it's like a PvPvE extraction shooter. Um oh. it takes place in the uh in the south uh in 
the late 19th century uh, as you are dealing with supernatural terror as well, at the same time trying to keep other players off the bounty. Um, and so mm. you're hunting both the monster at the heart of the map and also each other using period appropriate weaponry. Um, oh, that sounds fun. That is meticulously modeled uh, and feels like shit to fire because it is a late 19th century firearm. Uh, and there's a there's a real joy to that. So that's my extremely, extremely long answer to your normal question. I apologize. No, I'm I'm very I wow, I, I love that. No, I think Tori, it's top five, right? Yeah, because you throw in I think, another I mean Dishonored is a series. Oh, I think do we get three? Yeah. Yeah, Caves of Code. Easy. Caves of Code uh, is a roguelike okay. that has that is still currently coming out. Uh, I play it. It is a game that over the last year uh, I have put 143 hours into. I do not do that with video games. Uh, I am the kind of person who uh, rarely finishes games. uh, If they are more than, it was more like 10 hours, I'm probably not going to finish it. Even if it is less than 10 hours, I probably won't finish it. Oh, that's interesting. I'm just not a game finisher. Um, Is that just for games you write about or even games for like leisure? That's everything. I mean, like, I'm someone who criticism and the joy i get from playing games are not distinct from one another i when i am playing a game for fun i can't turn off the part of my brain that looks for meaning and like that is the joy to me this is why i as a kid this is like the skill i developed as a child doing those like renting all those games yeah i rent all blockbusters up right yeah being able to even if i couldn't find something about the game i liked I could always find something I found interesting. And mm-hmm. the pursuit of finding something interesting interesting about a game is what I get, is, is the joy I get out of them. Mm-hmm. Um, every once in a while, I'll find something that clicks with my brain mechanically in a way that is just like, nice. Like Hyper Demon. Yeah. Hyper Demon did that for me. But even okay, Hyper yeah. Demon, I only put 15 hours into or like 10 hours into. And then my brain was like, yeah, we got all the dopamine we need. <laughs> from we, we have wrung this thing dry yeah. you right. can move on to something else that's because Mecha- that's fascinating because i run out like mechanically my brain runs out of dopamine but mm-hmm. it never runs out of the critical part it never runs out of the part where it is just like yeah. i want to devour and dismantle every single text that comes in front of me and that is that is the joy for me yeah that's so interesting i'm the opposite like i've on this show I am kind of the person who is like, so I played this 100-hour game, and it was mid, and I suffered for it. Let me talk to you why I suffered. I don't know, it's like a weird masochistic thing I have, but I have this, like, really bizarre desire to, like, see things through. Now, we spent, like, a month and a half on this show of every week you being like, so this is where I'm at in Shin Megami Tensei Five. Bro, I, I don't know if it, it was really worth it. I Another, a very recent case of was it really worth it for me, and I, I'm bringing this up because you wrote about this game, was Soul Hackers 2. Yo. Yeah. <laughs> All right, every motherfucker, every other reviewer was so fucking wrong. That game, okay, I'm, I'm gonna add. I, I, wa- I want you to talk about this game because I, I don't uh, know how to feel about it. I beat it. For listeners I at am, home, Ren's camera was literally shaking. I am, I am an at one. First of all, I want to, I want to take a sec to say I'm an avid Shin Megami Tensei. Yeah, yeah. same. I, same. I, I know it was the, only a matter of time before this went. This is a Shin Megami Tensei yeah. podcast. And let me be yeah. clear. I let me let me know one thing here. I do like five for the most part. I do like five for the for the most part. I like the combat. Um, I like the creativity of. of yeah, I, th- I think that's true. I think that's a. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Five. We'll wrap back around to this in a second. Soul Hackers 2 
is a video game that I think takes the core mechanics of Shin Megami Tensei and tries to simplify them for a broader audience, and I think that is a good impulse broadly, but this game makes it boring. Removing demon negotiations sucks ass. Let me yeah. fuck up these conversations. Yeah. Even me... Persona realized that that was like a bad move. The, it's important. Like, it's, yeah. it's, I love it. Yeah, it's so much fun. Uh, that's the thing I liked about Shimago My Tensei Five was everyone's weird little demon personality. Right, and instead you're just like, oh, let me send out fucking Jackie Eric, and, and I send <laughs> out, I send out like Jire Eric, and Jire Eric goes out and he's like, hey, I. I found Jack Frost, and it's like, yeah, bro, cool. <laughs> hey, Jack yeah. Frost, do you want to join? It's, Jack it's Frost, like a like, weird, yeah, no, it's kind of like a weird like wingman situation. Like yes. you, mm-hmm. you go up to to Jack Frost, and he's like, I have a friend who thinks you're cute, and yeah. like Mothman will appear, and you're like, oh god, yeah. oh. fucking Mothman. Ah, uh, you don't want Mothman. Who wants Mothman? Yeah, yeah he looks like he looks like whoa, Butterfree. Whoa, I'm sorry. Whoa, whoa, he's whoa, ugly. Fu- Mothman is a friend. <laughs> You watch your fucking ass. Mothman is Mothman is a friend. Listen, on the most recent Waypoint stream, we ranked monsters by how hot they were. Uh, and I just want to know, Mothman, and I fought for this shit. I fought for this shit. Mothman was in the soulmate category because here's the thing. Mothman is a friend. Mothman is a, is a, is a best day friend uh, yeah. is, what we, is what we ended up with Mothman being. But this is side. Shingo Mama Tensei Soul Hackers is a game that strips away a lot of the mechanical complexity that is like so key to my enjoying the series. Mm-hmm. is this sense that you are like crafting yeah every so i think shin megami tensei games are really elegantly constructed because oh yeah the way that they are built is that when you begin a shin megami tensei game the first half of the game is the game very slowly and very intelligently introducing you to new mechanics it is the yeah. game going hey welcome to this first boss fight i'm not gonna tell you that you need to target weaknesses to win this fight mm-hmm. but this is the fight that teaches you that targeting weaknesses is important and you're yeah. like, damn, targeting weaknesses is important. Thanks, Shin Megami Tensei. I appreciate it. And it does that by stomping the shit out of you in the right. process, yeah. too. Mm-hmm. And that was why I remember when when Tori came to the show and was like, I'm playing Soul Hackers 2, but it's weird because it feels too easy. And I was like, no, that's that's not right. Yeah, like the it's... fun part of these games is supposed to be like hard. I died. I I did not experience a boss killing me until about halfway in the game. And I played Was it on, in the subway? Um, maybe. First of all, there's two dungeons that look like subways. So, like, there's, right. there's that. I mean, the f- <laughs> was it the one that ends Arrow's plotline in the first 10 hours of the game for some fucking reason? Because Soul Hackers 2 has some of the worst narrative pacing that I've ever encountered. Why would you... I believe intro- so. Yeah. Why would you introduce three companion characters who you are going to spend 40 hours with and then within the first fucking dungeon of having the crew together end one of their plot lines and then spend the rest of the game being like, like you want to hear how this got to the point that it ended at? And like, yeah, bro, I would have loved to know yeah. that. Four hours. Like, what are we fucking doing? Just move it to the end. You can have all the same plot beat. Just move it to the fucking yeah. end. What are you doing? And here's here's the wild thing. And since I know for a fact, like, you you didn't finish this game, they, Arrow's storyline, you meet another one of Arrow's friends, and Arrow's friends essentially turns out to be the antagonist. So they just, like, milk his storyline and then do, like, a pivot at the end. And was like, Red has moved off camera, Red, by the Red way. Has, Red, Red, Red has left the chat. <laughs> I'm in bed. And it's bad. Um, I'll wait for you to come back. 
Sorry, I got in bed. Ren is, Ren is on the floor. Um, and sleep. the other thing, I mean, this goes about mentioning, like, the the dungeon design was, like, bland. So bad. Bland. The Soul Matrix was, was bland as fuck. Um, and it was just, like, odd. I don't know how far you ventured into the Soul Matrix beyond what was absolutely... Really far! Okay. I felt like there were things in the Soul Matrix that was, like... Why wasn't just this just a, a cutscene in the game? Like, it, why did I have to do all this? It's all shit? important. Like, like I need to know that shit about Arrow's relationship with his best friend before you kill him, bro. <laughs> what are we doing? Point A. Yeah. Point A. Like thirty like, hours in, and I finally understand Arrow's friendship. Right. Exactly. It's, just, it's infuriating. Yeah. <laughs> That's my point A. My point B is about narrative shit. The other thing about narrative mm. shit is that. One of the things I love about the Shin Megami Tensei series is that the Shin Megami Tensei series so elegantly constructs a progression that is like talking about the way we understand what the world can be. Yeah. Um, and I think that this begins actively once the series transitions to 3D with Shin Megami Tensei 3 Nocturne. In Shin Megami Tensei 3 Nocturne, you play as the demi fiend who is a part human, part demon hybrid, but not in the way that a Nahobino is. We'll get to that in a minute. Yeah. Um, a part demon, part human hybrid who, um, after the end of the world, uh, fights through a bunch of demons and eventually you meet Lucifer and Lucifer goes, damn, you're strong as fuck, bro. Crazy, right? And you're like, yeah, I know. And then Lucifer's like, do you want to go fight God for me? Do you want to be my, yep. the, the general of my army of hell? And you're like, yeah, I guess. And so that game has a real Green Day American idiot idea of mm. what radical change looks like. And then it's yeah. like, man, this is the most 2003 political energy of games I, I ever love had, this. which is like i've been wanting to play the switch remaster and this makes me want to do it this actually gives me the same energy as i don't know if you've watched the tv show mr robot mm -hmm. it has not aged well it has like extreme <laughs> like occupy vibes yes and like i haven't showered in three day vibes i don't know how to describe right. that but right. it's just very like it's like someone watched v for vendetta and like learned mm -hmm. how to code and was like this is all you need yeah also, quick quick pin before we move on too far, Tori. If you want to play Nocturne, don't buy the Switch one. I will just mail you my copy of it on the PS2 because I'm not playing. My it right brother now. has it on the PS2, okay, I, okay, so okay. I will I will consult with good with good. Anthony. He is he is a he is the real Shimigami Tensei stand. My brother, I'm I'm like a little Persona like idiot, and I'm just like oh that's Persona but without Teddy. <laughs> Um, and so three ends of this conclusion where it's like, okay, cool. The world can theoretically different be different, but it ends with with Lucifer being like, listen, here, I'm gonna tell, I'm gonna let you in a little secret. Even if you kill God in this in this reality in this universe, the multiverse exists. And so, hmm. uh, and this is this is um, listen, Shin Megami Tensei plays way too fast and loose with a lot of faith stuff, and I will acknowledge yeah. that. It's yeah, uh, it's a little weird. A little bit fast and loose, especially with uh, uh, its um, well, uh, its its idea of the tr of like the Abrahamic God is yeah. is is YHVH. Um, yeah. It is invoking a very particular name. Um, Ex yeah, a very particular version very of particular... like the Old Testament God. Yeah. Yes, and so basically, he's like, listen, even if we kill the YHVH in this reality, he still exists across every other one, controlling like the, the the forces of order right and then that that's how shimgami tensei 3 ends 
Shin Megami Tensei 4, uh, I'm just going to spoil all these games. That's a, Shin Megami Tensei 4 ends with basically there being two worlds and you being mm -hmm. like, fuck it, smash them together. Yeah, yeah. woo. It's, it is the most like lib ass, like we just make both sides talk to each other. Damn yeah. right. And then Shin Megami Tensei 4 Apocalypse comes out. And Shin Megami Tensei 4 Apocalypse is a great is a game I really love because Shin Megami oh, Tensei yeah. 4 Apocalypse actually is what introduces the idea of a Nahobino, which is what Shin Megami Tensei oh. 5 builds on because Nanashi, the protagonist of Shin Megami Tensei 4, is not yeah. a Nahobino. He's not. What he is, is he is a human being who has been resurrected and made the avatar of a, of a god called Dokta. And mm. so he is basically a prototypical, uh, a prototype Nahobino that uh, is what the protagonist of the next game is. Mm. Um, he's basically a shitty prototype, but still the most powerful person in, in fiction so far because he combines the, the powers of humans, which is the ability to observe the universe and create meaning and in this case, meaning leads to creating physical manifestations of like deities, right? You can believe yeah. something into being in Shin Megami Tensei. Humans can believe things into being. And so by combining a human with the power of observation with a demon, what you get is effectively a deity. And so at the end of that game, you go and you, uh, you fight the you get the good you get the good ending. And then the game goes, and basically your character goes, wait a minute. God's still there. Like we, we're not gonna stop, right? Mm -hmm. And then you go and you get uh, Satan and Lucifer, who are considered separate character. Well, actually, Lucifer is the, is the whole character. Uh, no, sorry, Satan's the whole character. Lucifer, uh, who's made up of Lucifer and Merkaba, who are uh, mm -hmm. an angel and um, demon, respectively. And so you go and you fight God, and at the end of that game, what your character does is. You kill YHVH and every single reality that exists. You get him. You get him so good in a fight that he is obliterated across every single reality wow. in the game's fiction. You got like Doctor Strange. This is a this, yes. yeah. This is huge. Every one of them's gone, and then the game basically ends with your character being like, "So what do we do with the absent throne <laughs> of God?" Uh, and the game, the conclusion that Shin Megami Tensei Four Apocalypse comes to is that that throne should be distributed to people broadly, yeah. not just Nanashi, but to people. Okay. People ascend and take the throne of God, and so do demons. That's that the key rules. of that's the key of Apocalypse's ending is that humans and demons share control of the throne of God. Yeah. Okay, that's interesting because when I not to be spoiler because mm -hmm. Noah has not finished Shin Megami Tensei Five. I, I haven't even I I bought it in a public's parking lot and I have not even started it yet. So you don't me, don't worry too much about it. Also, there's always several endings to these games. With Shimagami Tensei 5, I chose an ending that is kind of similar to that. I chose the ending where it's like Do you do you want to like ascend to the throne? Mm -hmm. Uh do you wanna like fight God on the throne or do you wanna like mm -hmm. abolish the throne? The throne, yeah, yeah and, and recreate a world where it's only humans and ODE. And that's what I did. Yeah. Hmm. So here's the thing that, but here's the thing I love about the progression of the series. So three goes, radical change is possible. Yeah. Four goes, uh, sorry, three goes, three doesn't go, radical change is possible. Three goes, the world sucks. Yeah. Four goes, oh, we can compromise. Four apocalypse goes, what if we killed God? And then five begins. Um, no, do you know the premise of five? Like the narrative premise v of five? Vaguely, yeah. I know the vague premise of it from cool. Tori. 
The narrative, let me, let me spell it out for folks in the podcast. The narrative premise of Shin Megami Tensei V is that God is dead. In the first yeah. five yeah. minutes of that game, Satan appears and is like, I don't know what to fucking do. Yeah. Y'all lost, I guess. And so the game begins with the question that Four Apocalypse leaves off on, which is what do you do after the revolution? Mm. Oh, what, does, what does the moments after the fall of God look like? And so much of, four, of Five is about different people vying for control. Yeah, it's interesting because Five has like a weird like UN coalition of like people's gods. And they're all like, no, I should be the new god. No, actually, no, I should be. And so, like, you get yeah. into these situations where you're, like, fighting these gods because they're just being assholes to you for, like, right. being a Nahobino. Like, your existence is an right. abomination. Um, right. Which, to me, like, I don't know if it was written with that intent, but for me, like, as a queer person, I Bro. I kind of felt like there was some, something there. But, um... Yeah, it, uh, it's just weird. You have, like, model god UN. <laughs> Shin Megami Tensei is the most gender fucking shit. It's, it's so, it's so, it's so loud. It's so, it won't turn down the volume. Oh, god, I wish that, and you, you mentioned Persona, listen, to give you some insight into a piece that I, uh, uh pitched and, and, uh, was, uh, uh, shot down, but I do want to write on my own time. Um, so here's the thing about the Persona games, just a, just a quick aside, is that the Persona games don't understand what tarot is, even no, a little not bit. Even, not, not even, even not I, even. I love that I got into tarot because of Persona. I really hate this basic <laughs> bitch timeline I'm on. It's fine, but it's, it's worth it. They don't know what it is. They don't, they don't know what it is, but also fundamentally their misunderstanding of tarot aligns with a fundamental misunderstanding of how identity functions and how culture functions in Persona's cosmology that begins with Persona 3 after the Persona 2 duology. Because the premise of the Persona 2 duology is that people's beliefs and rumors create physical things in reality. Beliefs create things in reality, and so... A bunch of people start believing rumors, and those rumors start manifesting in the real world. And that, that is where the demons and persona come from. The persona come from people's mm. beliefs and how they are represented and how they represent each other. And every character in Persona 2 is capable of changing their persona. That is oh, not wow. an ability re um, reserved uh, for the protagonist, protagonist. Or I guess that one time. Yeah. yeah. Don't, <laughs> yes. don't even worry about it. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And so it is a it is also the only game with a canon queer protagonist. Because the protagonist of the Persona 2 duality of the first Persona 2 game is a bi man. Explicitly in the text, not up for debate, is a bi dude. And so this is the high point in terms of understanding how identity functions as a way of understanding oneself in community with other people and how identities construct the people who have them um, and, and how identities basically construct us and we construct identity. It understands all of these things very clearly and it makes it the core of its mechanics. Rumors and persona are the two cores of the Persona 2 duology's mechanics, right? All of it's there. And then Persona 3 comes out, and Persona 3 is a game I love. I, I yeah, really we did, do love it. We did like You're preaching a three-hour yeah. uh, special on Persona 3. <laughs> Perfect. And so you know that Persona 3 of the last three games is arguably the most thematically coherent between 3, 4, and 5. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's the 
story-wise, it is the best. Right. It goes three, five, four. Um, yes. Because four doesn't know what the fuck it's saying. Okay, I no, I no. love four, no no four does, but no four knows what it's saying. I love four. I haven't played it in ten years. I'm honestly scared Same. of yeah. like, was this game good because it was good, or was this game good because I was fourteen and I didn't have as many friends as maybe I I should have. Yeah, and, I'm in a similar boat. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm a little scared to crack open Golden in January on my Switch. I don't think it aged as well. I'm thinking of one dungeon in particular, actually two. Yes. <laughs> I, I mean, the core of Persona 4 is that Persona 4 uh, and Persona 3, 4, and 5, this is the, this is the fundamental fault of all of them uh, at this point from, from 2 onwards, uh, after the 2 duology onwards, is that 3, 4, and 5 all believe that people are static or people have true selves which they conceal. And though that is the fundamental assumption those games have, that the persona represents the the secret or truth, either a secret self or a true self. One of them, either yeah. the real or the mask that covers it. One of the two things, right? And it believes that that is coherent and controlled and all of these things. And it's not because Persona 2 already came to a different conclusion. Persona 2 comes to the conclusion that, and I've talked about this a little bit before uh, with regards to autism, masking as a process right mm -hmm. people talk about like masking autism right as an inherently obstructive process if i am masking i am hiding aspects of myself yeah. from yeah. other people that is the way it is frequently framed i think this is a misframing um as as someone with it i think that this is a it is a it is correctly describing an experience that many people have however it is being talked prescriptively as opposed to descriptively. Hmm. Masking is actually a process through which identity is created. And when that, and when that process of identity formation is coerced, that is when masking is the negative thing we associate it with. Hmm. It is the suppression of the self huh. as opposed to the mask as something by which the self is produced. The mask yes. is what you create the self through. Because even when you are by yourself, the eye is a mirror too. You are mm. always performing, even if you are by yourself, because like, I think everyone does this. If you're yeah. by yourself, you perform for yourself, even if it's like doing actions in a particular yeah. way that you wouldn't run. Other. That's still performance. And so all of these masks aren't actually obscuring the self. They're creating it. And Persona 2 gets that. And Persona 3, 4, and 5 are so convinced, so fully convinced that every one of these masks is actually taking away something from people or, or, or stopping them from being who they really yeah. want to be. Mm -hmm. And it's not. Persona 2 already came to this conclusion. And the problem with 4 is that 4, 4's narrative is coherent. And the coherent narrative at the heart of Persona 4 is that people should be a should be the socially dominant way that they are. They can be, they can have individual personalities and that's great, but you should play your fucking role. Yeah. And like, that is Persona 4, is play your fucking role. Yeah. And some people's role is the protagonist. And like, those people get to do what they want. And it is no fucking wonder that with the exception of the Persona 3 uh, secondary protagonist uh, in the Persona 3 Portable, mm. every single one of those protagonists is a straight dude. Yeah. Because, like, of course that is the cipher. Of course that is the person who gets yeah. to choose whoever the fuck they want to be in any given moment because the series cannot understand that its fundamental structure is built
built to tell stories about queerness. It cannot even realize that it is a it is an engine built to tell stories about specific groups of people because it threw yeah. away that part of itself 10 years ago. And it drives me up a fucking wall. Yeah. Because like here you have all of these self-insert protagonists whose whole thing, their whole fucking thing is that their conception of identity is fluid. The, pers- yeah. the protagonist of Persona 5 can wield the Empress just like anyone else. Yeah. And the and Empress the is traditionally feminine. Right? right. They can wield the Empress like anyone else, and the series refuses to think about yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's like, it's so interesting because, like, those things will happen in Persona, and you're like, mm, that's a little gay. And then it's like, anyway. <laughs> like, well, it would, it, would force, it would force people at the top of the food chain in this development studio, like Katsura Hashino, to engage with gender and sexuality and these things as anything other than the butt of the joke, which is impossible. Yeah. <laughs> which is also, they did it. They did yeah. it in Persona 2. And they, fired, yeah. like, they, they didn't fire that guy. That guy stopped being the director of the series, and it's just was like... Oh my god, it is yeah. it is absolutely infuriating because you see the series with so much thematic potential that just doesn't understand it because all I mean all of it comes back to the fact that it does not understand and this is why I talked about tarot earlier. It doesn't understand how tarot works. Persona 2 does as a as a way of processing and creating meaning in the world. Persona 3, 4, and 5 looks at the major arcana and is like, damn, that's just like my buddy Eric. And like, he's a magician. Yeah, he's, yeah, the, the guy who wants to fuck my homeroom teacher in Persona 3. That's a magician. That's a magician. And like, <laughs> it doesn't understand that the, that the structure of the major arcana is not describing individuals. It is describing a process. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Everyone is at one point or another in their life the empress. Everyone is at one point or another the hanged man. Everyone is at one point or another the tower when it falls. That yeah. is what being alive is. That is the fundamental like metaphor at the heart of the major arcana. And Persona 3, 4, and 5 is just like toss that shit right out the window. <laughs> yeah. They, that girl's uh, the empress because she's pretty. Yeah. Yeah. I think I think that might still only be four games. Do you wanna do you wanna just throw out a fifth <laughs> game real quick here? Or <laughs> All right, let me get you know, like not not to say that I'm keeping score, but I'm like pretty sure in all of that. Just throw you it in. Say one of yeah, those number one five, favorites. Fortnite. Number five, favorite video game. Number five. Number thirteen, Burger King foot lettuce. Okay, that's literally a, that's literally an inside joke I have with my fiance. We'll just like every time every time we'll like order lettuce at a restaurant, he'll be like Burger King foot lettuce. That's so one I'm, of my faves. I'm glad it's not classic. just us. Wow. No, it's yeah. not just you. It's not just you. It's a classic. Listen, we love an echolalia. That's a treat. Yeah, that's a little treat. Number five. Treat. Number five. Oh god, you're making it so hard for me. I have to like think about video games that I play. What do I look like a little bitch to you? <laughs> Thinking about video games? Oh god. Um, fuck me. I'm looking at one in my list. Oh, Umarangi Generation. What am I talking about? What am I oh, what okay, the yeah. fuck yeah, am there I you talking about? Right, I was like, look, I what almost said banger. Metal Gear Rising Revengeance. Which is true. Yeah, I love Metal Gear Rising a, Revengeance. Yeah. But no, Umarangi Generation is. I don't know. It's one of the most important pieces of art in my life. Yeah, um, it's good. It's it's, good. it's it's up there. The fact that it and Disco Elysium came out in the same year is astounding to me. I mean, that was the that yeah. was a year of great joy for me. Was um, playing oh Outer Wilds. There's so many. God, I fuck. I played 
One last story, I promise. I swear to God. I swear no, to good. God. You're good. So when I was 19, uh, I got kicked out of my family's house. Oh, shit. Uh, oh I'm because... so sorry. It's fine. No, no, no. We're fine. My, my relationship with my family is fine. We'll get to why. Uh, because my stepfather uh, has bipolar disorder uh. and was having a manic episode where he became convinced that steam was going, the, the program was going to give my family viruses and he was currently uh, having a manic episode where he was convinced we were being spied on by the FBI. Mm. And so he was like, you cannot be in the house if you uh, use this. And I was like, I need it for work. Uh, and yeah. already my house was a living nightmare to be in because of this manic episode and because my stepdad and I fight all the time. Uh, and so I was just like, I can't, basically he was like you can't live here if you're if this, i was like i this is untenable so i go i moved to my yeah. mother's house for like a couple of months uh and so while i'm there i'm not employed i'm just on break between semesters of college um so i'm just like chilling and in one week i play all of disco elysium and all of outer wilds oh my god wow. in the same fucking week which is just like May as well have just tossed an emotional flashbang in the room, <laughs> and then I was just boop, gone. That whole that whole zone is just that several that very weird messy several month period is now just Disco Elysium and Outer Wilds to mm -hmm. me. I uh, there's so, something to be said about games that you play when shit hits the fan. Yeah, like Persona Five yeah. was one of them. Persona Five was one of them for me. Um, Celeste is one of them for me for a much less serious reason. I just like suffered a bad injury and like was on post up on the couch for a few months. Um and like I just I just think those games leave like a real emotional footprint. Yeah. On you. Because even if they don't have a, a deep emotional resonance like something like a Celeste and your Disco Elysiums and all these games do, like you can graft it onto it. Like yeah. I think back to when I was at some of my like most depressive periods in like college i was just i put like a gazillion hours into spelunky on my computer and that mm -hmm. there's no like emotional arc in spelunky but yeah. like i was i was able to like gain some degree of like uh some semblance of control over my life by like right. learning the ins and outs of every single possible world in spelunky and that kind of thing yeah 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 absolutely damn so wow Wow. wow. We do have one last segment. We can keep it short and sweet. Before we go back to our next segment, we will be we will be right back after these short messages. Hey, press start. We're Winkler and friends and here are our favorite games. I love 2048. I love Animal Crossing. <laughs> I like the iPhone my Tamagotchi forever. I also like 2048. I like Clash of Clans. I like Super Smash Bros. Brawl on Wii. Um, and now here is our song Mona by the band Winkler. So long.
now it's time for the the part of the show here where we're going to talk about the games that we've been playing and uh why i guess ren i guess for you this can be a uh, games for work games for fun however you want to approach this kind of deal uh tori do you want to start us off and tell us what you've been playing yeah um speaking of like being week five in a in a game because I uh, I love to see things through. Let's but I'm having a go. good time, though. This isn't me suffering through, like, Soul Hackers 2. This is me... Tori is just so committed to the bit. It's unbelievable. Yeah. I This is me, like, earnestly enjoying a game. Um, I am... I'm in real deep in Fire Emblem Three Houses. Like, mm-hmm. I've gotten to the point where Byleth, who is your protagonist becomes one with the goddess honestly a little bit of a nahobino moment i gotta say because this goddess is inside of you but she's like but i'm not you but i can't become you but once i become you you can't hear me in your thoughts anymore and i was like i um and then we fused and my hair turned colors and i look like his like hatsune miku now and that's great um big plot moment you also you also have like a, a moment where your dad gets murdered and despite your ability to turn back time, you can't save him, so you realize it's yeah. fate. Um, that was that was a cool uh, character development moment. And now I'm like going around the monastery asking about like, who was my dad? Actually, was my dad my dad? Who gave birth to me? I'm I'm like uh, investigating myself also while like trying to teach classes as a professor so it's a, i'm in a very interesting spot in that game and i'm i'm kind of i'm hooked i'm very i will invested. still never get over i will still never get over the fact that fire emblem three houses looks at the arc of the entire fire emblem series it was like i think what people are going to want to do in this game is walk around talking to npcs they've never seen before about characters rather than talking to those characters directly like i don't it's i don't really know it's a little silly got there, i also but... realized that you could date your students in this game which makes me very uncomfortable yeah. and i didn't realize yeah. that until one of my students was very horny with me um <laughs> just all out of the blue he's my he's my healer mage and I thought he was, he was like, hey, professor, can we talk? And I thought he just wanted mm. to talk to me about magic shit and nah. how he heals. And he was like, uh, in this game, you have things called crest. And yeah. he was like, oh, you've played this game, Ren? Yeah, I've played. Yeah. He, Linhart was like, oh. if it were up to me, I would examine <laughs> your crest with all of like as much as I would like. That's or, yucky. It, he was he was real. He was like, I want to fondle your crest gross, or whatever. Gross, and I was gross, like, gross, 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 bro, gross, what gross, the gross, fuck? Gross, gross. And I I started texting some friends about this, and I feel like my friends. I don't know. I guess I guess my friends are more down in this than I am. Because one of the first responses I got from my friends was, "quote If you're not sucking and fucking in Fire Emblem Three Houses, you're playing it wrong." No, I played it really wrong, man. <laughs> and then I texted another friend about the situation, and she goes, "Oh yeah, love Linhart, little freak. I married him during my first playthrough. That was my that was our our friend Alana, uh, Noah. Yeah. Just so you, just so you know. Okay. Um, that's so <laughs> funny because when you texted the the one group that I was in earlier, and we were talking about this, I was saying that like my my first playthrough, my byleth was like this this sexless detached being because in my mind that's like what the god stuff does to you it makes you this yeah like, you're and and this ascended. is coming from me as somebody who thinks that the the self-insert blank slate fire emblem character is like the most boring oh fucking she's, so she's so it mid she's so mid it sucks it sucks or he, so my bi is it. like this detached woman who 
did not have any kind of relationship with any of her students except when they happened incidentally whereas like i was really invested in like getting the students to pair up the way you would in like a more traditional fire emblem game it was like i don't want i don't want to fuck the students i don't even want to fuck the teachers i don't want any anything here yeah well unfortunately there is one teacher i'd really like to be in, to date in the game and that's is manuela yeah, because there you go. she's I was like, come on, the big titty not. woman. Yeah. Come on, she she's What's walking it? around with like two slits in her dress, like mommy milkers. She's also really flirty with you, yeah, your boy or girl. Yes. Oh my yes. god, yeah. I got to the cutscene where she's like, where she's like a little hungover or whatever after a date, yeah. and you like knock on her door. And she's like, hey, I'm my head hurts, and I'm just like, yeah. hey, sorry, my head hurts. Like, yeah, g- yeah like, ma'am. Yeah, I'm just trying to chill. Like, where it's not. Yeah, I didn't like that. It's. Well, I'll be honest. Very I like roommates. my parents aren't home vibes, and yeah, it's it's just interesting. If I had known the game, I so I was I learned from our Noah and I's mutual friend like literally two days ago that this game had romance options. I came into this game with very little knowledge, and like now I'm like if I had started the game with that knowledge maybe I would have tried to date someone but now I just feel like no desire to so yeah I made the right decision what would you do oh I dated Edelgard that's yeah I'm in her house I'm in her house so that's an option for me wait no what's up no what's up no what's up I can fix her yeah. <laughs> oh my god i i, I actually i'm very I limited love in her. what i can say because tori is not that far into the game yet. i will <laughs> fix her i mean she's been like all my siblings died we were all science experiments in the basement mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. i'm just like ah, bestie like yeah. she's just like i'm so i'm so stern and hot and sad the and way she chastises like, nice. me i'm like okay bitch <laughs> I'm oh, actually no. pretty nice once you get to know me because I'm, I'm like deeply caring, but I'm just so hot and sad and mean yeah. about it. And I'm like, damn, Edelgar, you are so hot and sad and mean. Tell me more. Yeah, there's, yeah, there. I don't know. I got, I gotta, I gotta work through my personal shit before playing this game. Apparently, you, you definitely do. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah, that's that's pretty much what I've been up to. Noah, what about you? So. Uh, I want to give one quick shout out to Frog Detective 3. I haven't bought it. I haven't even finished. I haven't even picked up Frog Detective 2 yet, but I absolutely adored Frog Detective 1. And I saw that Frog Detective 3 launched like today when we're recording this. So on my list, got to pick that up. Love Frog Detective. Um, That's a big one. I am, I'm like within three hours of beating Shenmue 1 on the Dreamcast. Like I probably would have beat it yesterday if I hadn't gone to a concert instead. But like I... I'm gonna beat that fucking game by the time we talk about it next week. I'm at the period in when you get to disc three of Shenmue, it's it's three discs. I'm on the last disc. I'm like very close to the end of the last disc. The story progresses to a point where, like, are either of you even vaguely familiar with the story of Shenmue? Like totally um, beyond just from what the podcast, or... just from what um Lucy Blundell told me. Okay. I am familiar with Shenmue. Okay. So I, I'm at the, there's a stage at the beginning of disc three where the main character Rio is like, I have to learn more about this gang of ruffians. And I've heard that the gang of ruffians pick on the people, specifically the new guys working at the harbor. So rather than just go to the harbor and talk to people, I have to get a job as the new guy at the harbor and then they will start picking on me so I can learn about them. Truly just like those galaxy brain ass shit. Yeah. So at this stage of the game I'm at, I had to get a minimum wage job that since the game is 
is like real time functionally with it's like you play through the day it's not like a real 24 hour clock it's like each hour is like four or five minutes you have to get a nine to five job and work that nine to five job so you get forklift certified (laughs) and you have to literally work an eight hour forklift job where you don't really get paid much forklift simulator 2000 yeah and it's like I know I could just like set the controller down and come back a half hour later when it's my lunch break on my forklift job and then do something in the game. But like, I feel, I feel compelled to do the forklift job and it's, I, I don't know. It's, it's, it does something to your brain, but it's kind of funny cause I do it the same way I do other minimum wage jobs I've done in the past, which is I do it really, really good for like two thirds of it. And then I go, I'm working too fast. I need to slow down. And then I just screw around for the last couple yeah. hours of my forklift job, which is, you know, it's it's great, though. I, I'm adoring Shenmue. That's minimum wage work to me. That's what my housekeeper colleagues and I did. Listen, yeah. exactly. we would, we would That's if we work too fast, work, yeah. they'll give us more work. Exactly. <laughs> we know we're the best team there and we work faster than everyone else. We're know, not going to do that. I'm like, we're not I know work to the bone for no reason. I'm the only forklift driver who can have complex thoughts because everybody else is operating on 1999 AI. So right. I can only work. So You're quick. like that meme where they're like, they don't know I'm in exactly. 2022. Yeah. They don't know that I can have complex thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I'm, I'm almost done with Shenmue. That's where I'm at. Um, Tori, you were making fun of me earlier. Uh, another game that I downloaded the ROM for and stuck on my 3DS earlier today yes. is um, Dragon Ball Z Attack of the Saiyans for the Nintendo DS. This is a Dragon Ball Z turn-paced RPG. And as you can imagine, there are not a lot of turn-based RPGs set in the Dragon Ball universe because the, the, main, the main verb everyone uses in Dragon Ball is fight. And uh, that's generally more conducive to, like, fighting games and 3D fighters and that kind of thing. Dragon Ball Z Attack of the Saiyans? Tori, Tori, you keep making a face. You look like you want to say something about this game. No, I was just going to say, like, uh, I was texting Noah about this because he was telling me he got this game. And one running gag is that, like, Noah had still, like, not finished Elden Ring. And I was like, oh, it's like that uh, men will literally rather do X than go to therapy, but it's like Noah would literally rather play a fucking Dragon Ball Z DS game than finish Elden Ring. <laughs> so that's that's where we're at. How do you, do you enjoy this game? I, I've played about like an hour, hour and a half of it so far, and I am genuinely enjoying it. Um, Good. It's, so one, it's got adorable sprite art. Like it's got... It, you play as like these really chibi-fied versions of the characters okay. when you're walking Cute. from like ta- walking around towns or walking in dungeons and that kind of thing. But when you get into battles, it's these really beautiful big sprites of the characters, the kind of which you would see in like a two D fighter. Like it's it's really really beautiful sprites. It's got I mean it literally has like HP and MP, and the MP allows Yamcha to do the Wolf Fang Fist X amount of times until you level it up. So far. This was released for all my Dragon Ball heads out there, of which I, I've i not even watched all of Dragon Ball, but I've like played enough of the video games and watched enough of the show to like, you know, I got, I got an idea of what's happening. Um, this was released when Dragon Ball Z Kai was airing on TV, which was when, the, the, when Toei was like, you know, we need to remaster Dragon Ball for a new generation. Yeah. What we're going to do is we're going to cut out the filler and release this new version, Dragon Ball Z Kai, that has updated animation and cuts out the filler. People end up having very mixed feelings about it because not only does it cut out the filler they like, but it also just like needlessly changes things. Mm. So it's 
it's a tough situation. And so this game starts at the very, very end of the first Dragon Ball in the time skip between Dragon Ball ending and Dragon Ball Z starting. And the game runs all the way up through when Goku fights Vegeta at the end of the Saiyan saga in Dragon Ball Z. So it's really fascinating that like this is the time period this game has taken to examine. Most other Dragon Ball Z games make those first chunks of the Saiyan saga like a tutorial functionally. Or like mm-hmm. maybe oh, Vegeta is like the first hard boss you fight. But like there is so much more Dragon Ball Z after that that it's rarely it's rarely anything super super deep so it's it's kind of fascinating that this is the chunk they have chosen and like the the when you start the game out you don't even have goku in your party it's it's krillin tien and yamcha so like barring krillin this is like the c tier dragon ball characters but it takes place at a stage in the in the story and in the mythos of this world before people can like blow up planets by just like looking at them so the the stakes are a lot lower the power ceiling is a lot lower and it feels more realistic for you to be getting in random encounters with like big snakes or guys with guns and like not polishing them off in one hit. So it's it's interesting is what I'll say. And that's cool. that's where I'm at with that. Hell yeah. Um, other than that, it's uh, I'm still playing Marvel Snap and Overwatch 2. Uh, I do want to <laughs> I hate myself a little bit for for at least one of those Marvel Snap fucking rules. I'm totally willing to be like full out on loving that. Um. There's been some really good reporting over at Polygon about like what the deeper mechanics of that game are and like how to really get into it. I didn't realize I compared it last time we talked about it to Hearthstone without realizing that it was like developed and written by the folks who made Hearthstone. So it's it's a good game. I'm really enjoying the the card game. It's it's lots of fun, which shocker, I like the deck building card game. But yeah, it's really good. Overwatch 2 sucks, but I'm still having fun with it. Yo, fuck Overwatch 2. <laughs> yeah, fuck Overwatch 2. But they added this new character the other day. He's called Bastion. He, uh... <laughs> this is how everyone talks about Overwatch 2. Like, yeah. like Jesse yeah, will be like... genuinely likes Overwatch no, 2. Jesse, but... like, I'll ask Jesse because he plays Overwatch 2 with his friends almost every day. And I'm like, mm-hmm. All right, do you like this game? He's like, no, it's fucking terrible. However, yeah. like last night, my friends and I... Bl- like He launches yeah. into a whole thing of like how much fun he had last night. It so also it's... brings out like... <laughs> It brings out the absolute worst in everybody playing it, including myself. And I like to think I'm generally like a pretty like docile gamer. Like I, I, uh, I like to play supports. I, gamer I don't rage? like to rock no the. Luck? Yeah, I don't Couldn't really get game. I used to get gamer rage when I was like an angsty thirteen year old, but I don't. I'm an adult. I I don't get gamer rage. This game, it throw it can throw me into a rage like nobody's business, especially when you're queuing in quick play with randos who've never played the game before. And they're all just dying at different intervals and rushing the enemy team without waiting to group up with anybody. Like it, it puts me into a primal rage. Perhaps because they're twelve. Yeah, it, it could be because they're twelve. But like this kind of shit doesn't happen in Fortnite, and I don't, that's full I don't of twelve know. year olds. So that, that's oh, yeah, not exactly. True. Yeah, yeah. That's that, true. Whoa, that's not true. I'll do. I'll do that. I'll do that right now. Also, but here's the problem: I'm sweaty when I play Fortnite. Yeah, <laughs> I'm just aggressive. I'm, I just play aggressive. Like that's yeah, the. Same. It's, it's I the love, combo. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I've gone I've gone full 180 on Fortnite. Fortnite's a great game, but I haven't played it in a couple of weeks. So I don't know what's going on in Fortnite, but my my girlfriend just sent me leaked skins. The uh and I'm very excited. These, what are we what next... are we getting next? What's Oh, this is this is a these are survey skins. I don't know if any how many I'll get in the game, but there's there's a lot here. There's, oh, wow. Okay. There's a lot here. We are we're pulling up pulling up the leak skins. Oh wow, there is a lot here. There's a lot. The second boy looks so ready to be called a slur. Oh the oh wow. So these are like 
I'll I'll drop oh, this link in the chat because this is this is audio hell right now for everybody listening. But uh, yeah, this this look it's a bunch of like Fortnite original characters, huh? And every one of them looks like they could either be a Fortnite hero or a Xenoblade character. Yeah, there's some of them that are really good in here. I was I was uh, sharing some with my girlfriend, but side Fortnite fucking rules. Fortnite sadly. rules. Fortnite I hate rules. It. I hate how much it rules. I play with a uh, a uh, friend of me, uh, Andrew Lee Swan. <laughs> Yeah, it, it kind of sucks how much it rules. And, like, I, I've said that enough times in this podcast that I don't need to go into it particularly deeply, but, like, it makes me, like, genuinely upset sometimes how good of a game Fortnite is. <laughs> so, yeah. especially since, like, that's what Overwatch is trying to do, and it's just, it's just don't not, it's it. just not doing it. Yeah. What have you been uh, playing lately? I mean, mostly it's been stuff for work. So I, I talk a lot about Signalis on today's episode of Waypoint Radio, so mm-hmm. I'm not going to waste people's time with that. Um, Listen to Waypoint, yeah. Listen to Waypoint Radio. Um great great game i love signalis it's probably on my goatee list honestly um i'm guessing it'll probably end up like top three games of the year um signalis is fucking stellar and that's that's saying that in a year where citizen sleeper and norco also came out yeah yeah um which are probably my number one and number two respectively um or actually reverse those norco's the probably the best game of the year listen damn this is just one i need to move that up to my the top the I'm tippy tip top of my list I'll say to you what the games developer Yutz said to me in an interview, uh, and that will convince you to play the game. Mm-hmm. The game's uh, lead dev and lead writer, lead writer described the South as a hyper-mediated marketplace of disaster oh, during yeah. our interview. Oh, yeah. Oh, I, love, I love that. That's what the South is, a hyper-mediated marketplace of disaster. Fuck. Yeah. That is the pitch on Norco is that it is a game that understands what the South is at its core in a way that, like, very few things do, and that's my Norco pitch. But in terms of what I've been playing, um, let's see. I mean, I play a lot of Hunt Showdown, but the thing I've been getting, uh, I'm falling back down my Caves of Cud rabbit hole, which (laughs) Caves of Cud is a traditional roguelike, um, which is really good. It's a really good traditional roguelike that takes place in a post-apocalyptic kind of world. that auto-gens its history Uh, and this generated history is threaded through every one of your runs uh, in addition to like a main quest that is that is standardized the main quest is always the same if you want to pursue it but also it has all of these like things and its mutations are so good the game steve the the way i'll pitch it is let me read to you uh one of these steam achievements and its description The laws of physics are mere suggestions, volume two. The detail on that achievement is exploit wave-particle duality to clone yourself. Um, Dianu, give the repulsive device to all four children of the tomb. (laughs) Tisk, tisk, disappoint a highly entropic being. Hmm. These all sound like messages you could leave on the ground in Bloodborne. Exactly. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. So basically, anything can technically have sentience in Caves of Could. Oh, wow. Chairs can develop sentience. Uh, all, anything can have like one of like dozens of mutations. The game's world is filled with stuff. It has a ton of like really excellent writing. All of these things is also a terrific storytelling generator. Mm-hmm. Just, just excellent yeah it sounds like dwarf fortress-esque in in that way yes uh the most recent character i started playing actually right before this call 
was I was rolling a vampire. <laughs> uh, I was trying to see if I could use the game's mutation systems to make a vampire. Uh, and so I made someone with the ability to siphon people's uh, siphon people's health, um, create a cloud of darkness, heightened quickness, triple jointed. Um, you can also just make like a cool bird person. Yeah. Uh, you can make a Renata in this game. You oh. can make a one-to-one Renata in terms of like getting all of the disability right. Uh, if you put in uh, triple jointed narcolepsy um oh god i've i've made this build before i've made this quite literally exact build before let me let me check this is this is the renata secret if you want to play caves of could uh, and you want your first build to be the renata special um the specific mutations you want to go with are let me click new game character creation classic <laughs> we're, we're doing new. this live we're doing this live we're doing it live uh scholar class okay uh, physical mutations. <clears throat> uh, you want to take uh, heightened hearing, night vision, um, and uh, triple jointed. Do you have night vision? I have. My eyes are hypersensitive to light huh. uh, to the point where if I walk around uh, outside during the day during summer, I can't keep my eyes open wide enough uh, to actually see for more than like a second so basically what i do is i open my eye like squint for a second memorize everything that's in front of me oh close my, my eyes and then walk forward until i'm like i've walked far enough where i need to check again i was gonna and ask just... if you did like the the tim rogers like sunglasses inside thing but no i don't I, i'm not quite there but i have my eyes are really sensitive to light yeah uh, and so i can i can see very well in the dark um and then what you're gonna take is narcolepsy uh, which is one of the game's uh, mutations uh, because it loves to dunk on me. Um, and then once you take narcolepsy, uh, I think the the rest you can do with uh, as you please because I don't have any psychic powers. But you can decide what psychic powers I should have in Caves of Could. I wish I could tell a child in like the 1980s playing Pac-Man at an arcade just like this entire thing. Be like, you think this is cool. In 40 years, you're never going to believe what you could do in video games. Literally. Do you want to be a cool bird, per- a cool psychic <laughs> bird person in a video game? Because I'll, I'll let you, listen, you can be a cool psychic bird in Caves of Co- One of my favorite builds I actually did recently um, was a character whose whole thing is that they take all of the uh, elemental style mutations. So uh, pyrokinesis, uh, cryokinesis, and thermokinesis. How is thermokinesis different from pyrokinesis and cryokinesis, you may be wondering? Well, thermokinesis changes the ambient temperature. This is the kind of game this is, where you are- Oh my god, can this is to change oh, yeah. the ambient temperature in a Detailed. room. Um, and so one of the things that they do with their thermokinesis, they would just walk into a room and jump the ambient temperature up by- um, <laughs> like a thousand degrees and i was building them in such a way that my goal was by the end of uh by like level like 10 or so i wanted to be able to walk into a into a like a desert canyon and thermokinesis a wall of rock into magma that is that is my goal with that character to see if i can thermokinesis my way into just making walls of magma um case of code fucking rules also it's just like gorgeously written Mm -hmm. um really really beautiful writing what what little of it uh not what little of it what 
parts you will encounter regularly. Um, what is the thing I'm thinking of? Uh, psychic Ocean. Glimmer. Um, just for an example of the game's pros. Um, at 20 Glimmer, you are being watched. It's a familiar feeling when someone has watched you in the past, when it's light that's betrayed your presence. You made a friend of the darkness. You pulled your hat brim lower. You stepped behind the cover of a thatched wall. But those who watch you now watch in spite of such simple obstructions. Their sight isn't mediated by the rays of a gleaming star or torch, but by something much older. If there are ways to conceal yourself from these seeing eyes, if there are new kinds of darkness to befriend, you know nothing of them. Ooh. And that's a message you can just randomly get Ooh. in the game if you get too many psychic powers. If you get too many psychic <laughs> powers, the game just says that to you and then it's just like, good luck, buddy. Oh my God. Fucking rules. Keeps that's awesome. rules. That's Sorry. fun. No, that sounds super cool. Huh. Well, shit. I think, is there anything else you want to shout out, Ren? Or... I'm protected. You can find me on Twitter, Armin or Raven. Uh, watch Waypoint. Um, Waypoint's pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, I'm probably going to start streaming all of the Silent Hill series on my personal account at twitch.tv slash Ren or Raven. Ooh. Uh, and that's, uh, that's, that's my whole deal. Hell yeah. Tori, where can people find you on the internet if uh, they do so choose? Yeah, you can find me at Tori underscore as underscore always. I'm on Twitter at Noah underscore Hertz, spelled H-U-R-T-S. Um, not sure for how much longer, given the state of everything on the internet, but maybe I'll maybe I'll have to start hyping up my Tumblr that I made no, in 2012. On, on Elon Musk's uh, Twitter, we uh... um, the show is on Twitter at press underscore start pod. You can also find us like wherever else you find podcasts. We would really appreciate it if you left a review on whatever platform you're on. Uh, Leave us a fun text review and we'll read it on the show, positive or negative. Our music is by the artist Geist. You can listen to more of their stuff at noahgeist.bandcamp.com. Our show art is by Kai at Wisp Graphics. Shout out to the band Winkler for the music interlude there in the middle. That was their song Mona, and you can hear more on their Bandcamp page at w-i-n-k-l-e-r-b-a-n-d.bandcamp.com. And I think. That's pretty much it. Renata, thank you so much for coming on the show. This was an absolute pleasure. Thank you very much for listening and take care. It's interesting. I, f- I feel like I feel like other Midwestern states have like a thing to flex on. Wisconsin's like we have cheese though, and like Michigan's like we have lakes though, and I- Illinois is like we have a Chicago. Like what is Ohio? Like I'm trying to think. Ohio's flex. I mean, the the state is known for a bit of its agriculture. It's like one of the corn. It's like it's a corn state more than it's a soybean state. But also, like the the okay. core. This is. The fundamental identity of Ohio is that it is a place where that exists at the intersection of a bunch of different like geographic and like cultural like places in America. 
And so it functions as this, mm-hmm. like, not as a melting pot, but as this, like, weird regional hybrid where if you drive 45 minutes in one direction, what you're going to get is a small college town that feels like you are in Massachusetts. Uh, it won't have the, like, geography or, like, particular, like, town design of Massachusetts. It'll be distinct. But the small town economy will be built around the university in the same way that a lot of, like, small Massachusetts towns are. Right? Mm, yeah. Uh, that. You'll have a Rust Belt style uh, manufacturing hub uh, that is now falling into utter decay. Um, So that's option two. Option three, you'll have a farming town where all of the actual local farmers were bought out by corporations years and years ago. And so now the local economies can kind of free fall as people try and work off what little generational wealth they had. And by general wealth, I mean the shitty home they own. That's number three. Uh, Number four is Cleveland. I think yeah, I think this go. this is great for an open world um, map like this. I think you should yeah. you can set Elden Ring, yeah, <laughs> Elden Ubisoft Ring, game. but like yeah. El- Ohio is is Cleveland like Kalid or is the manufacturing decaying town Kalid? Oh, oh, all Ohio is Kalid. And so it's this weird like cultural hybrid and also this like weird economic hybrid. So like the town I grew up in was a. Yeah. Farming town, sorry, farming town turned manufacturing town turned college town. And so now you have these basically three God. layers of economic decay layered on top of one oh, another. Wow. It's like recession the, lasagna. Mm-hmm. Exactly. With the university being the only one that's yeah. able to still actually fund the place because manufacturing died out and uh, the farms died out. And so what you have is you had a generation of people who grew up working farms, like my grandfather, grew up working on a farm. Then went to uh, the trades, went to a trade school, uh, became a machinist, got uh, uh, went into a machine shop that was filled with asbestos, got cancer, uh, and then died. Uh, and then you have that as option A, uh, and then option B is you go to the university that most locals can't afford, but which funds the local economy because what you have is you have a, a private university which isn't good. It's a shit school, I know, because I went there. Dog shit school, fucking terrible. But the kids who go there, their families make okay money. And so what you have is this basically university, which is like running the economic engine of this small town in the midst of all of this decay. Yeah. And the people who actually live there have no way of escaping a very particular economic cycle that is rooted around serving yeah. the particular interests of that one university. Uh, and so it's just a fucking shit show. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, Tallahassee. 